Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hear me. Wait. Hear me. Hear me. You say you want to hear my confession. Why? Why now, eh? Show yourself. Where are you? Where? down the hatch it's the lost rewatch podcast here on post show recaps long time since i've said those words and here we are paying the cost of living i'm josh wiggler joined here by mike bloom mike here we are finally it's happened josh do you hear that echo because i don't anymore oh i've been sitting on that for three weeks oh really like Uh, and like over the course of three weeks you still thought that sounded fresh and snappy and good Listen, uh, it's been sitting in the fridge for a while. I, I didn't take a whiff of it. Didn't pe- maybe didn't pass the smell test, but yeah, it's fine. Here we are. Yeah. We took a couple of weeks off. I'm so happy to hear your voice again, Josh. Especially talking about a pretty damn good episode of Lost in a stretch of uh, episodes that are not known to be pretty damn good. Yeah, like we, like we said at the uh, in the introduction that we recorded to the podcast, you did with Ben and John the other week talking about Lost clones. Uh, we really just wanted to emulate the feeling of this first portion of season three. Like you're just really stuck in it. It does. It, it, it's only six episodes, but it feels like it never ends. So we've elongated this period of time by a couple of weeks. Of course, that's not the actual reason why we have been delayed. I appreciate everybody's patience. We back. We're talking about the cost of living. We are saying goodbye to Adewale Akinoye Akabaje. Uh, and as we hear his Mr. Echo at the end of that introductory clip, uh, yeah, I think he was ready for a while. Uh, I think, yes, yeah, as, as the story goes, this man wanted to leave Lost, uh, basically from the second his feet touched the ground in Hawaii, uh, you know, to, to pull in some of the behind the scenes stuff that the great Ben behind the curtain collates for us every single week. Um, this from an interview from 2008 
uh, with Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse. Damon Lindelof says uh, that uh, in, in uh, this was in 2008, that his, their Mr. Echo plans, they very quickly derailed. Adewale's unhappiness was almost instantaneous. On his second episode, he was already expressing extreme dissatisfaction. In a, a 2011 uh, series of comments on the matter, uh, Damon Lindelof says, in the second season, we started setting all of this stuff up. And around January, Adewale uh, Akinoye Akabaje called us and said, I don't want to be in the show anymore. I just hate Hawaii. And we said, dude, we have this huge plan for you and you have a contract. And he said, I don't care. Sue me. I am leaving. Um, so this was something that basically from the moment that Adewale Akinoye Akabaje lands on Lost as Mr. Echo, the plans for the character and all of the track that's being laid for him on a, on a story level are apparently being, uh, challenged by the fact that the actor does not want to be there. So a lot of the questions of like, how did Mr. Echo, how, this is so soon, this is so sudden, it feels, it feels like completely out of nowhere that we lose Mr. Echo. And like the reality of it on a production level is like, I think we're, we're lucky to have gotten as much Mr. Echo as, as we got. Or another reality, Mike, is that like we got a lot more Mr. Echo and a very, very like miserable, depressed actor, which nobody wants. Um, I know that this is like a controversial death this is a at the time mm-hmm. it was a very controversial death uh it was a really hard loss this is a character who it's such a testament to to beyond the writing it's a real testament to the performance um that Adewale is just so excellent in in the role that you yeah. don't want to lose this man you don't want to lose this person he has he he's just imbued so much in the character of Mr. Echo he is just instantly uh instantly iconic he's you know some of those moments that take a while uh to become iconic and others are instantly iconic and mr echo was one of them the edge of echo stinction so i understand why like it hurts it stings there's a lot of reason it stings it's a big loss for representation on the show um there is also just like the practical reality that this man didn't want to be there anymore, and so they have to come up with a way to get him off the show when he's a character that they were investing a lot into. So there's a lot of that to unravel, a lot of meta stuff to unravel this week, a lot of like the retroactive things that we like to do of like, okay, knowing the ending of Lost, how do we make this fit within the Pantheon? This Mr. Echo arc has always been one that I've enjoyed playing with in that context um so it's an episode i've been i've been very excited to get into due to things that are going on in my personal life this is also an episode that i have recently been dreading getting to because it's a very difficult way to lose a beloved character and it is just a little raw for me um but i i watched it this morning before you and i hopped on the line and it was the first episode of of lost i've watched since i don't know before august 15th you yeah, know, it's in almost a month, you know, uh, and it was really, really, really good to get back to the island. Uh, yeah. just felt great to get back to the island. No, it's just it's so great talking about I was almost seeing a new episode of Lost, but this is a very, very old episode of Lost. And you bring up a lot of very salient points that I think have definitely warped my perspective to the echo arc of it all. There is my theory going to this, as we discussed with the episode, is that there is one big piece of the echo arc that I feel like if you remove it makes his death play much, much better. And we'll get into that. But talking about the AAA of it all, it's so interesting that, in my opinion, he sort of became the Michael of the cast of Behind the Scenes of Lost, 
where all he wants to do is get off the island of Hawaii. And he wanted to do it from the very beginning. He was seeing other prospects and while other people were sort of setting up a home there. He's adamant about like, I need to get out of here no matter what. Luckily, AAA doesn't turn to the actions that Michael did in order to get what he wanted. And good on him for being able to, I suppose, grin and bear it and put forward uh, a performance that is immaculate, even though he doesn't necessarily like the character. I don't know if this is a, a hot take. I think this is a fantastic way to end the Echo character. I think it comes down to timing, and I think we're going to get into that in this episode. Yeah, I think the timing is, you know, is tough and, like, should it have happened at the end of Season 2? Could it have happened earlier? Maybe. Um, should it have happened later? Should they have pushed it a little bit? But it, hap- it happens here, um, and it happens at the start of John Locke kind of really getting his groove back here in Season 3. Oh, he is giddy in this episode. You know, uh, so I, I feel like, um, I don't know... I don't know if there would have been good timing for this. I think like any time you have to accommodate um, the the loss of a cast member for any reason, there is no such thing as a good time. Um, but I think given what is available to them, given the desires that are stated on the board, um, given on the board, uh, given the the new characters that have emerged in Desmond and Ben and Juliet, I I think that the show and Nikki and Paula. I wasn't going to say it. Uh, I think <laughs> that the show does the best job possible with a tough situation, and for me, creates an episode that, at least for me, like a lot of it is like the retroactive head cannoning of of the cost right, of living. Well- that particularly, like, particularly with the monster, right? Because this is another big thing. This is the first time we see the monster in a season plus. This is the first character that the monster outright kills since the pilot in the pilot. So it is like a pretty monumental episode in terms of that piece of mythology. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you get to see the monster wail on someone. Uh, and we have not seen that in a while. It's very aggressive, very hard to watch. Uh, like to literally see like the monster turn into a fist. Uh, is 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 really really messed up and scary. Um, so yeah, we're gonna get into all of that. Mike, how you doing? You good? I'm good. I've been doing well. You know, I think that as much as we missed you last week, I think getting to do the podcast last week with John and Ben, we've heard some fantastic feedback about that. I know that is something that has sort of been in the hopper back when you and I instituted the frozen donkey wheel, last oh, time, God, which we roommated yeah, on last time we came together. That was one that was always going to be on there. But man. I loved exploring that. I am a, a television obsessive, if listening to my podcast has not indicated that as of yet. So to, to take a deep dive into all of these shows that are mostly alien-based, that nearly all failed, and what they had in common was like a great way to sort of reverse engineer if and when, Josh, you and I make Lost 2, and we're trying to figure out what's the special sauce to put on this burger after we killed the cow, baked the bread, etc. <laughs> yeah. I, I think we figured it out. Try rendering uh, animal fat. It's uh, it's really, really tough. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to render the fat here on the cost of living back on the grind for the weekly episodic crawl through Lost. Uh, of course, get your feedback in down the hatch at Push or Recaps. Dot com. You can also hit us up on Twitter at Round Howard at a Mike Bloom type. With all of that said, let's go forth into the jungle for the cost of living. Directed by Jack Bender, prolific uh, director producer of Lost. It's written by Allison Shapker and Monica Awusu Breen. This is the only writing credit for the both of them. Uh, this originally aired November first, two thousand six. It is the third and final Mister 
echo flashback. Any any thoughts that you want to put on the table before we dive in, Mike? Let me just, as I just mentioned before, I think there is one key piece of the echo arc, particularly in season three, that sort of obscures, I think, or colors the the thoughts about how soon his death comes. So let me just cast this this thought before we go into it. Imagine watching this episode where the bear cave story arc from season from episode three doesn't happen, that further instructions doesn't happen, and that Echo just got found and taken back to the shelter. Because my personal thought is, when you remove that, it makes this overall arc and this episode in particular ring much, much deeper. Are you asking me, would Lost be better without further instructions? Because, I mean, probably, yeah. Yeah, well, I think, well, I think the issue is, <laughs> yeah. and not to belabor the points, because I know yeah. we, want, we want to get into the summary, but for yeah. me, it's not even that Echo... I realize that for me, it's not that Echo dies in Season 3, Episode 5. It's that season, Echo dies in Season 3, Episode 5, and in Season 3, Episode 3, he's almost nearly at death's door anyway in a bear cave where John Locke finds him. So we're just, and like, I, extending the goalposts on it. Sort of, but, like, but that's, it's also, like, if we're going with the football analogy, it's like, oh, we almost scored the touchdown, let's wait a couple a couple downs. Okay, now we scored the touchdown. It, it feels like it's not necessarily bringing the impact of it, because we already sort of had that near-death scare two episodes ago. I guess anyway. ma- maybe there's there's the, the consideration that it makes Mr. Echo's death more surprising because he's just escaped it um, twice. Right, like he he survived the hatch blowing up. He well, survived the, thing, the polar though, bear. Is that why do you need the bear cave then? If we've, he's already survived the hatch exploding, because like if he survives it twice, it's like he's not. They're not going to get him on the third one, but they do. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, but but I I think like it, let's let's say there's the perfect world where Lost is perfect. Uh, in the perfect world where Lost is perfect, I think they figure out a way for Mister Echo to stay on the show. But they, right. you know, we're not living in that world. So let's let's get let's get into a world where season three isn't doing some of um you know it's season three isms uh which you know for for my money i think that it's very losty which is which is why i like it from a historical uh perspective um i think maybe further instructions is a totally different episode and maybe you wait for mr echo's return to be all contained within the mr echo episode yeah uh i i think that there's definitely something to that um i think Further Instructions is a really flawed episode of the show, as we've discussed. Um, so, you know, the question is, like, would Echo's death resonate better without, like, the polar bear stuff? My instinct is probably yeah. Um, especially because one of the things that I, I, I find impactful about the cost of living is how Echo is in such rough shape the entire way through. Um, like, this is, you know, this is, like the 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 guy who's like wandering through the final moments of his life uh like he's mm. like you know being visited by ghosts of the past and confronting his history uh and he himself who has this history of violence is wearing that violence so profoundly um like that, a tattered shirt you know well the shirt's actually this is his least tattered shirt on an island i think <laughs> uh that I, I i think that that's powerful um but i think you could probably still do that by the fact that he just like got wrecked by the explosion in the hatch. Exactly. Both explosions, like the explosion and the implosion of the hatch. Uh, <laughs> the explosion and the implosion. I didn't realize he was involved in both forms of plosion. You know, well, the, there was the dynamite and then there was the hatch going kablooey. So, yeah. Uh, or kapurpley, I guess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, like, maybe that's better uh, than having him have to weather the, the polar bear as well. Uh, 
yeah, you know, you don't have to you don't have to work too hard to convince me that this would be better without the polar bear stuff. Yeah, so I just wanted to sort of throw that out there that maybe this maybe this means I'll bump further instructions down even further in <laughs> retrospect yeah. when it gets to the end because like oh and you ruined the Mister Echo death too damn you episode three I definitely don't think it ruins the Mister Echo death for me no like, I, don't, I, I don't think so but, but I think I think if you happen to be watching these from a sort of sequential perspective i do think the the death itself the surprise of the death gets a bit i don't know mired slightly by the fact that okay we already had this incident happen two episodes ago that being said i can't wait to get into that final scene because i think it is a beautiful way to send off the character i know people have thoughts about it but i think it's a very touching scene it's a it's a i think this is a really really great episode i i you know a lot of this is emotionality but uh i'm, I'm giving it a 4.2 uh, just preemptively, like I, I needed lost back of my life at the time that 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 I came to this episode this week. Um, but I think beyond that, this is this has been one of the episodes that I think about the most. This is one of mm-hmm. the episodes that mentally I return to the most. Uh, I think it's a great example of uh how to how to creatively pivot while also still like giving someone who you had invested so much into a a really great send off, despite the fact that you don't want to let that person go. Um, I, I just think that there's a lot of, a lot of here or there. And like beyond the Echo stuff, the Hydra Island stuff is, uh, Ugh. maybe the best Hydra Island stuff we've gotten in the season so far. I mean, listen, that's a low bar. It's a I low, agree. it's a low bar, but like it's great. It's great. The Hydra Island stuff, I think. Uh, so let's, let's get into all of it. I'm going to go through this part a little bit quickly because I want to come back to it. Uh, you know, the, the episode begins with a flashback and it's Echo and Yemi as kids. Um, and Echo and Yemi have stolen crackers from a shed, uh, cause they're hungry. They're starving. And a nun comes and they scold, she scolds Echo, says like, you gotta confess that you've stolen. Even young Echo is defiant and says like, it's, it doesn't matter. He was hungry. Uh, Yemi was hungry. Mm-hmm. This isn't bad. And she says, you've no excuse. You've sinned. The fact that he's hungry doesn't matter. Go ask God for forgiveness. Confess. Uh, and there's the priest whose uh, legs are behind the curtain. Yeah, Muppet um, Baby style. Muppet, uh, Muppet Baby. Muppet uh, so baby style. Are, are, are we assuming this is the same church that Yemi and Echo will eventually inherit? Looks like very similar Cer- dressing. Certainly, certainly looks like it. Um, I don't. I don't mean to breeze past it, but I, w- I want to talk about that in conjunction with one of the final images we get in this episode. So mm-hmm. let's put a pin in it. Young Echo and Yemi are established. Let's talk about them when we see them again at the very end of the episode. Uh, we then open on an eye, because of course we open on an eye, and it's poor Mr. Echo who's just having a hard time. Saeed is back. Uh, Echo has apparently been like this for a couple of days, and he's like, Charlie, what happened to Mr. Echo? Charlie's like, oh, before or after the polar bear? <laughs> to your I, point. I, it is really interesting that we sort of like yada yada through uh saeed and the kwan's returning are we assuming that they just hoofed it back to yeah. camp considering that they have no boat well they say that echo's been like this for a couple of days now um so a couple of days have passed and saeed said it's going to take us a couple of days to get back and i think like the timing on that bears out from when sawyer and kate are going to to come back uh from hydra island as well um so uh, i i see no problem with that i think the fact that a couple of days have passed works for me yeah, I mean, do you think that, obviously, you, you assume that Saeed would also disclose what happened? Or do you think he would be fairly close to the chest about the fact that the first son killed another and also the others robbed them of the boat? Yeah, nobody tells anybody anything on the island, so you gotta imagine he just kept that to himself. Yeah, I can imagine secrets are really <laughs> just locked tight in a vault 
Yeah, yeah. And I think like there is there are trust issues with the people who are here. You know, we'll talk about the the vacuum of Jack uh uh Jack-um. in this in this episode, the Count Jaculum. Uh whoa, that sounds terrifying. Oh, oh no, I'm <laughs> staying away from that one. Yeah, stick away. You don't want anything to do with that. Uh you know, I I think that how that has impacted things uh is is something worth exploring. We get uh everybody leaves the tent, we start getting like this montage to remind us of the echo arc. Uh of like his mm-hmm. childhood, of shooting the man to save Yemi, becoming Mr. Echo, um, Yemi uh, dying uh, on the on the tarmac, uh, all of that. And it leads to a ghost arriving in Echo's tent. Uh, and let's listen in. Sound number one. Echo, wake up. It is time to confess. To be judged, brother. I will be waiting. You know where to find me. You guys smell smoke? My brother. Is everyone okay? Yeah, we're good. Where's Echo? Hurley and I. Hold him out. Over. Who's right there? Echo? Echo? Now, Mike, um, Damon Lindelof has said that a lot of the story that they had originally planned for Mr. Echo went to Benjamin <gasps> Linus and went to Desmond. Uh, I wonder it, which part went to Desmond here. Is, is that why uh, Mr. Echo is saying, brother, brother? Yeah, and I wonder Desmond if, goes on to say brother every other word as he becomes a huge star on the show. I hope, I wish that Desmond had been part of that scene instead of Charlie <laughs> so we could get like a who's on first type of thing. I'm like, brother, yes? What do you want? Are you my uh, brother, brother? Yeah. I think also at this point, we are three for three in terms of fires at this camp. Should they appoint a fire marshal yes. amongst 815? Because they're Absolutely. really having a problem with that. Absolutely. Uh, I, I don't know who they want to elect, but they definitely want to have a fire marshal. Yeah, that's That has Rodney Sesto's name all over it. <laughs> no, he's a fire starter, that dude. Uh, I, I included the full clip of the tent going up and, and Echo disappearing. Um you know the echo disappearing part mostly for the brother bit because that's mm-hmm. funny um but but the second that we cut away from yemi in there with echo uh you hear hurley saying do you smell smoke um and so that to me makes it unambiguous that the yemi we are dealing with in the tent with mr echo is the smoke monster uh, yeah. That this is obviously the smoke monster is going to be creeping throughout the entire episode um but i know we've had some debate about 
is this the island as Yemi? Is this the smoke monster as Yemi? And I have held to the belief that every time we have seen Yemi in, in instances like this, it's the smoke monster. I hold to that belief. And I especially hold that the Yemi that we're seeing in this moment who's saying, you're coming to be judged. You're coming to me to confess, to echo, uh, that that is very much uh, the the smoke monster. And I like it more that, because I agree that Yemi's definitely smoky in this episode, but I like it more if it wasn't smoky the previous two times, because that means that the smoke monster is purposely taking whatever Jacob and the island is providing to Echo in the form of this vision quest and bastardizing it and manipulating it, right? Uh, maybe it's his use of a prop that's that now he's flicking a lighter. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's interesting. That's interesting. Um, because, you know, one of the things that, like, on, on like, the, mytho- the mythological level that people, I think, have some issue with is that Echo's a candidate, right? I think he's, like, number 76 on, like on the wall, something like that. I think we have that written down somewhere. Uh, yes, Echo's candidate six, uh, 76, according to Ben Martell. But we see that Jacob is able to scratch candidates off the list before they die, as he did with Kate. Kate was 51. He crossed her off. You became a mom. You can't possibly be the leader of the island. Uh, cancel Jacob. Um, that I, I think, I, that I, I think that like there could be the argument that, um, you know, I think one of the things that I, I feel strongly about in this episode that this episode expresses, uh, contrasted against the greater scheme of Lost is where for many people, what happens here on the island is the most important time in their lives. And it's why those people build the church together at the end of the show and find each other there. Echo Plus is the fact that they owe Yemi a church. Echo is absent from that. Obviously it's because Adewale doesn't want to come back to lost. Maybe there's, you know, you know, uh, some, some grievances between parties involved. Who knows? That's speculative. Um, that I think that the most important time in Echo's life did not happen on the island. Um, and my, my feeling my my feeling could be that like if e- even without your interpretation of it that that Yemi was the island like you know working through him a couple of times um that there could have been instances where Jacob having summoned Echo to the island basically sizes Echo up and like in intuits that Echo's importance is not related to here you know whether mm-hmm. or not like great man bad man whatever um echo's destiny uh is is not about protecting this place cross him out um but i i like your idea that maybe like the the island stuff um uh you know is is sussing that out to a degree as well so i think that there's room for both interpretations for sure and we assume no matter who it is that with yemi flicking the lighter that it was Smokey who started the fire yeah i think so it was it was always burning though uh, is an important note about the fire. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. So we'll get into all of that. Echo's gone. He's gone off into the jungle, much like we have. Uh, let's go to Hydra Island, where uh, Jack is getting prison jacked. Uh, he is uh, he's doing pull-ups. Benjamin walks in. Funny exchange, where he, has, uh, he wants him to go for the walk. Uh, and Jack says, you say that like you're not just going to throw a bag over my head if I say no. And Ben says, then don't say no. I always love that line read from Michael Emerson. He's like, then don't say no. Because he's like, yeah, you're totally right. We'll just throw a bag over you. Yeah. And I also love, uh, I mean, Jack. So Jack at this point is pretty much on to, you know, exactly what's been going on and why he's being brought there. It's going to get confirmed to him in this episode. But I also love the double entendre of him telling Ben, I'm ready whenever you are, mm-hmm. uh, because it is a, a term of like, yep, you know, I'm, I'm good to go. But it also sort of hints to Ben of like, 
hey, uh, I know what's going on with you. You keep trying to be Mr. Caddy and sort of, uh, you know, be purposely withholding, but like, put your cards out on the table. I'm ready whenever you are if you want to talk. Yeah. So he, he, he lists it out, right? Like he call, he calls his bluff. Uh, he's like, does your neck hurt? Is there any mm-hmm. numbness in your fingers, your toes? You've got a tumor, buddy. It's an aggressive tumor. It's going to kill you. Unless it's those, not a tumor. Unless those x-rays were very recent, it's not going to be very long before you stop taking walks, is what he tells Ben. And Ben's like, I have no idea what you're, what you're talking about. Uh, ben does not like to be busted. Uh, and he's totally busted here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he busts himself even further when he gives Jack the white shirt. And they go in all of their white shirts. Everybody's rocking the white uh, I assume that this takes place before Labor Day. Uh, yeah. I want to actually, I believe, I'm trying to remember. I mean, it's only a, a couple months after 815 crash. So I, they're oh. probably into uh, de- probably December or oh, November they, at this they're point. They're in right? November for sure. Yeah, this is a violation. Um, but yeah, I, I believe it's interesting because you could say at one perspective, like they're doing Jacob cosplay. Yep. Uh, and that this is like uh, a sacrifice to Jacob. But I guess tied into that. Uh, I know that Lostpedia more so described it as, uh, you know, the traditions of Hindu funeral practices are that white instead of black is actually the funeral color. And so it would make sense, given the name of the Dharma Initiative and the number of Eastern practices that are sort of brought over, hashtag namaste. It could also make sense that, like, in the Bible, quote unquote, of the Dharma Initiative, white is the appropriate color for funerals. Yeah, and that this is, like, something that they've adopted from Dharma. and I think speaks to sort of like the 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 multicultural multi faith uh, idea that's at the certainly at the the core of the ending of Lost. Um, I think is I think is interesting. Uh, they play "I Wonder" by Brenda Lee uh, as they're shipping Colleen off Viking funeral style. Why do you think that Ben invited Jack to the funeral? I think he's I think he's still doing what he thought he was doing. I think that he was still like I want to slowly indoctrinate the doctor into our culture and make him realize we're not so bad. And then he's mm. got Sawyer and Kate on standby in case he needs to squeeze those triggers. Um, and I don't think that at this point he knows that Jack is aware that Ben has the tumor. And so when Jack you know, plays that card, it really surprises Ben to the point that Juliet shows up here uh, and Juliet, who hates funerals, she's like, hey, look at your shirt, uh, goes over to Ben and Ben says... Why did you show Jack the x-rays? And she's like, I didn't tell him that they were yours. I guess you just did. And Jack is watching. And like, that's all the confirmation in the world that he needs at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that Ben has brought Jack out because he's still his, his plan that got shot to sunshine. He doesn't know that it's been shot to sunshine yet. Yeah. And I think I, I wonder that just because of like, what he does in the last episode, which is, you know, handcuff Jack to the gurney of dead Colleen because he wants him to, you know, see what he did and be punished appropriately for it. To your point, this feels distinctly different. It feels less so that Ben's like, feel bad for the fact that this woman died on your watch. It does seem more so like, no, we're bringing you into our community so you'll be able to toss a football with Mr. Friendly later. Exactly. But yeah. but even that line of I didn't tell them they were yours, but I guess you did is a great hint also of the growing insubordination that has been there the entire time. We just haven't seen it personally that we're really going to get from Juliet in this episode. Juliet's so good in this episode. Oh, she's, she, <laughs> Juliet and Jack are both just outstanding. Like what Jack has done here is really, really, really terrific. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's on them. Say what you want to again about his leadership or the annoying chain pulling that occurred in episode one. But like he's onto their game right now. Yeah, for sure. All right. So the next day, 
Uh, we're back on the beach. It's Locke, Saeed, and Desmond. What a great trio. Uh, well, we should not, be- I don't know. Saeed <laughs> might disagree because he asked flat out in front of Desmond why he needs to be there. He's going to come around on Desmond. I mean, he's a big part of the constant. You know, never never forget that Saeed is yeah. there for all of the constant. But speaking um, of callbacks, I do love that when Saeed asked that question, Desmond responds with, is that supposed to hurt my feelings? Yeah. Which, you know, Saeed, he's not that wall. He's, he's, his feelings that, are getting hurt still. That wall is a long gone. Uh, so Desmond, uh, tells Saeed, I think that the computer, it was more than just pushing the button. I think you could use it to communicate. Um, and so Locke thinks like, all right, well, we can find another hatch and communicate to the others and barter for our friends that way. Um, and this is when Hurley and Charlie show up. They're wondering about where's Mr. Echo. And he's like, oh, we don't have any clues. All he was doing was saying, brother, brother. And Desmond's like, oh, brother. Uh, and Locke knows, uh, all about Yemi. And he has this eureka moment of, all right, everybody's going to the same place. Let's head to the Pearl. That's where Echo's going. Two birds, one stone. Yeah. I, what I do like about this as well, between the three Echo flashback episodes are that, it is all centered around one central location, that being the location of the Beechcraft slash, ironically enough, right above the Pearl, that yes. this is always going to be sort of Echo's location, in a manner of speaking, which, you know, we're, gonna, we're actually about to get into the flashback, which I would say, you know, I'm, I'm going to sort of co-opt what I said about Question Mark in that I feel like this flashback, there are actually a couple of revelations that I realized after the fact that don't exactly make it a complete nothing burger, no matter how hard you worked on it. But I will still say it, def- it definitely still pales in comparison to what happened with the 23rd Psalm. But at least all of this action and characterization around Echo, whenever he has the, the, the center of attention, is focused around one central location as opposed to what we've been talking about with characters throughout season three, which are like the flashbacks and the characters location wise are all over the place. I think um, I, I see the utility to this flashback in um, in that. Echo is about to die and he is about to reflect on all of the things that he has done in his life that got him to where he is now. And that it's there, there is, there is worthiness in exploring how did Echo grieve and react and live in the grief of the immediate aftermath of what happened to Yemi. Um, because I think that the episode strongly argues that Yemi is Echo's constant. Uh, mm. That 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 the most important time in Echo's life was 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 everything threaded through Yemi. That Echo's entire life is threaded through this one person. Um, that if Lost is a love story, that the ultimate story about Echo is not about love of God, uh, which is as it presents, you know, about a man who's deeply devout and has so much faith. But is a is is a different kind of love story than the one you often see on this show, which is the love between siblings. Uh, that it's the love for your brother, that he is his brother's keeper, and that he values that so deeply in himself. That that's his constant. That's his core tenet. That's the thing that is his ultimate guiding star. Um, so I think as we're losing the character, watching him 
lose himself, regress. I I don't know. I, I mm. it's it you know it, there's complicated emotional stuff that's going on with Echo. As yes, we go to this flashback and we see that you know there's this beautiful music that guides him back into the church, and he sees the photo of himself and Yemi as boys, and it's just so sad. And this is where Echo is going to take on Yemi's role at the church because of this like case of you know confused identity and also him seizing an opportunity. Like that's the Echo he's become. Uh, and I think the flashback is sort of reconciling those two identities for him. Um, what is the transition for Echo from being, you know, the guy who had to become a warlord because he protected his his brother versus becoming somebody that his brother could maybe be more openly proud of? Um, so I think that the flashback that we see starting with that scene here resonates with me as far as what's the what's the final mission statement uh, for Mister Echo as a character. I, I think that. The, what really resonates for me about this flashback personally is the idea of even when Echo tries to, you know, stray down uh, a path of what he should do, he's still going to be Echo at the end of the day. That is to say, he's still going to cut off a guy's arm. That's that warlord is still a part of him. And it sort of does also ingrain this lesson of you can push all you want to to, to become someone that you should be. But at the end of the day, you are the person that you are. And so, you know, the the ending in this flashback in particular is, is very interesting because it's not a happy ending for Echo in this flashback. He gets this church boarded up. Uh, he chops down the tree, but the roots are still there. There's still a very big crime problem in his town. And I think him sort of realizing that is so very interestingly jarring to how the character ends, which is almost like on a happy note where he makes his confession and basically is like, I don't regret anything that I did, uh, which is, you know, it's, it's interesting to pair those two. I will definitely put this above the question mark flashback, which I still feel was no was doubt. It's not pretty, even a contest. pretty inessential yeah. in terms of teaching this. I do. I do think it was interesting to like, you know, go from that back to right after the events of the 23rd Psalm. You know, it's, it's clear, obviously, that they came up with this stuff after the writing question mark. But you, you'd have to hope and wonder that they could have possibly switched it to just go in chronological order. But yeah, I agree. Staying in Nigeria, I think, is the better choice for the character. Uh, so Echo is waking up in the jungle. Uh, we see like the wisps of the smoke monster flittering around. Echo's doing his level best to move through the jungle. The jungle has other plans. Here are the ghosts, right? Here are all the people he's going to kill later in the episode. We're like sort of repeating all of that. Um, so if, 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 this is this this comes down to this question of like what can the monster do right, right. can can the monster make you hallucinate can the monster pull um visions out of you if it like assesses you the way that it assessed echo earlier on in the series um i would i would vote yes i would vote that this is all part of like trying to push him closer and closer to this place where he is going to basically pledge undying loyalty to the monster. I think that that's what the monster wants. Just to put like, you know, a point on that cuz I don't think that we've like been explicit in our discussion of the episode yet of like, well, we know that Yemi is the smoke monster, so why is he coming for Echo? I think in the grand scheme of things the thing that that I've argued for a while is that the smoke monster we know is going to want somebody to to like do the things that he needs to, to be done in order for himself to be freed. And yep. he's going to have to lock into place to, to somebody's physical form uh, at a certain point in time. Uh, and that John Locke is going to be that guy, ultimately. That John Locke is going to be the guy that the smoke monster determines 
is whether gullible or fallible or whatever it is. Um, if he's a, he's enough of a sucker that he'll fall for the con. Um, that I think that the monster is assessing these possibilities within Echo as well, knowing Echo's past, knowing what Echo has been through, um, knowing what Echo represents to the people of this community, um, may represent to the people of this community. Is Echo another viable alternative for somebody, uh, that he could, he could pick? Um, and I think that it probably, again, this is all like the fan fiction y shit. Right. Uh, you know, which I just think, think makes Lost richer. If it's not your bag, it's not your bag. Uh, you know, there is the fact that he's not a candidate anymore. So now he's, he's at death's door physically. He's not a candidate anymore. So, Echo is either a huge asset or a tremendous threat. If Echo is not going to do whatever the monster wants Echo to do, then Echo left alive is a very dangerous person for what the monster ultimately wants to do. Mm -hmm. So while Echo is in this weakened state, this feels like a moment for the monster to be like, all right, so who's he going to be? Is he going to be my guy or is he going to be my victim? Like, is this going to, I mean, he's going to be his victim either way, but is he going to be a victim that serves him and helps him or is he going to be somebody that he's going to have to murder right now before he regains some strength uh and he chooses door number two because of echo's choices that is how i've always viewed this uh we're getting pretty early into the he said we're next stuff i've always interpreted or at least since we've gotten the smoke monster is a guy reveal uh i have i have interpreted that as echo said you're next to, yep, and to john, john said Locke. oh of course the royal you you must yes. mean we all are next yes. including nikki and paulo that is that is what i how how i've interpreted it ever since we've learned that the the correct question wasn't what is the smoke monster but who is the smoke monster yeah i definitely agree and i think it makes that much richer as well especially given echoes albeit limited role in all this but definitely the importance of the character especially near the end of season two when john has that weakness of faith and echo quite literally takes over in his spot i also wonder in the perennial battle between jacob and the man in black is this some sort of posturing as well of like yeah you think this guy could have taken over look at what i can do to him see he's not worthy none of these candidates are worthy I'm going to get free here and and you can't do anything right. about it. I, I exactly. think it's all, it could also be a bit of a, you know, a, a jockeying for uh, for position as well between these two guys that are essentially, once again, as we talked about before, playing chess or playing uh, yeah. Senate with these pieces of people. You can you can imagine like the deleted scene where the monster goes to the four toed statue and sits down for fish with with Jacob uh, and is like. You should really think twice about who you decide to cross off your list because yep. I can I you know as soon as you're done as soon as you've deemed this person's not a candidate I could just rip them to shreds look at Mr Echo um like there is sort of like the the unseen um monster Jacob stuff to consider uh and I I think like I I can fully imagine that this is the smoke monster puffing its smoky chest uh at at Jacob and being like you made a mistake by crossing this guy off. Look at what I've just done. Not only that, that's also a really fun, delicious parallel to brothers. And that's maybe another reason why yeah. the man in black seeks out the form of Yemi, because he knows firsthand how simultaneously like complicated yet nefarious a pair of brothers can be, especially when they don't see eye to eye. Of all the people he probably associates with the most right now, it's Mr. Echo. Yeah. It's this guy who turned bad, 
had a brother who like, you know, chastised him for the way that he saw things. And it sort of was sort of at odds with him for a while. Like he, he sees himself in echo in, for a, in a manner of speaking. Yeah, so for sure. There's another interesting association there. Yeah. Cause I, I think like, you know, the, the crux of lost obviously is like all of these people are people who do not want to be here. And by here, I don't just mean the island, but also like where they are in their lives. Right. And Echo is a great example of that, of somebody who like, who does not want to be where he is in his life, faking his way through being a, a priest or like wishing that he had come by it like, more authentically, even though he he's going to reject that notion, um, you know, like all all of the pain that he's gone through, wishing that he had gotten to a place in life where his brother hadn't died, that he feels his brother's death is on his hands, wishing he wasn't here in all of that pain and all of that grief, and you can apply that idea to just about every single character on on lost uh jack wishing that he and his father hadn't gotten so strained to the point that his dad drank himself to death feeling like that's on him um kate wishing that like she could just stop running she can't she's here all of that you know on and on and on you go but i do think that one of the unique qualifiers about echo is exactly this idea of brotherhood that is so foundational to his character and is the central crux that he is going through. And maybe once upon a time for the man in black, that was um, his mom. Uh, that was the Alice and Janney character. Um, but she's been dead for a very long time. And not that that is not something that is probably still like torturing him. But Jacob is an active presence on the show. Jacob killed him. Uh, yeah. Jacob killed him. Jacob put and, him in this crazy form that he exists. You know, today. Jacob Jacob killed him and then locked him in a cage. Uh, and so he understands like the the pain and suffering that you can uh have tied up in in a sibling, whether it's a sibling rivalry or your love and your misunderstanding of like why why did your brother judge you like this? And Yemi uh was always very harsh towards towards Echo's lifestyle and not understanding of the circumstances that they found themselves in, or at least not allowing that to land as a justification uh, for Mm -hmm. the way that Echo has, has chosen to behave. So I think in, in Mr. Echo, aside from the fact that like, if your choice is like, do you want to be like bald 60 year old John Locke forever or like super sexy, badass Mr. Echo for the rest of your life? You lock into Mr. Echo. If that is like, (laughs) if if that is an option, I think, Uh, but there's also, I think, I think you're totally right. I think when he examines Mr. Echo in that moment back in the 23rd Psalm, I think he is seeing so much in that character that resonates so deeply within his own journey, which probably is a big piece of why he's so viciously angry at Mr. Echo by the end of this episode and kills him the way that he does. Yeah, because he really is sort of like, he doesn't need to tease him along the way that he does, right? He could easily get him out of the jungle transform into Smokey, and then just beat the ever-loving crap out of him. But he really leads him along. He it's has disappointing. That it's like bitter. It's a very bitter pill. Yeah, he's so he's leading him along, almost like dragging out his torture by being like, look at so much, look at what you could have been, and look at what you, you've, you've shied away from. And as a result, I'm sorry, but I have to do this. What I do find interesting is as we sort of get these, you know, these ghosts of the past that Echo is looking at, we do see the altar boy, Daniel, who does the same motion, the shushing that Walt did to Shannon during the infamous visions that he did in season two. So was Walt the smoke monster (laughs) holding up the moth right now? Uh, Yeah, whatever. Who knows? Maybe Uh, on my animal crossing Island, uh, Walt is a kangaroo. 
Oh, I love that. Well, I guess hopefully not a bird. I'm just glad no. he's not a bird. No, no, he took he took on an Australian animal uh, as his likeness. However, um, all right. So back at the beach, Locke's gonna invite everybody for the party, and Hurley's like, "What? <laughs> he's so freaking chipper." Yeah, he's like, like, "Well, I'm gonna go find Echo. Does anybody want to come with me? Like, this is you're talking about John Locke getting his groove back. Like, he is in such good spirits. Yeah. John Locke would never think about season one when he's like, "I'm taking Boone mm-hmm. and Boone only into the middle of the jungle." Now he's like. All right, plus ones for everybody. Yeah, everybody gets plus ones. Uh, John Locke is flush with cash. Uh, or at least he's just like got that John Locke energy. Ralphio. Yeah, John Ralphio Locke. Uh, so he's going to invite everybody. Uh, you know, Hurley has the great line of like, Jack used to only go with Saeed or Kate. And he goes, well, I'm not Jack. Here come Nikki and Paolo. And they're going to be along for the ride here. And I know that's a thing. Yeah. Uh, Paolo especially really sucks in this episode. He more really so than Nikki, does. I think. Yeah. Well, the thing is, because let's also look about this canonically in retrospective expose, because at this point, Paolo found the diamonds, didn't tell Nikki about them, and hid them in the toilet at the Pearl Station. And that's why that's when he observes, you know, Ben and Juliet looking in on the computer. So Nikki at this point has all but like given up at finding the diamonds. So she's like, Yeah, sure, I'll go along. Like yeah, I, I might as well. And Paolo's the one who really doesn't want to go at first because he knows what's there, but he decides to sort of tag along. But yeah, God, he's such like a little chode in this episode. <laughs> he really is. He's terrible. Oh, I hate him so much in this episode. Uh, yeah, so they're going to meet at the tree line in 10 minutes. Desmond's asking Locke, are we going for the computer? Are we going for your man? Are we going for Echo? Uh, and Locke points out, it's two birds with one stone. We're all going to the same place. Desmond says, quite a coincidence. Locke says, don't mistake coincidence for fate. And the transition's complete. Now yes. Echo Band had the ball for a, for a portion of time when it comes to the faith of the island, but now Locke has, has that ball back and then some. He's picked it back up. Um, all right, so Echo goes to the river's edge. He plops down. He takes a sip. We get a flashback. And here comes Amika. Uh, Amika and his posse, they're here. They, they uh, protect the village in exchange for for 80% of vaccine from the Red Cross. But of course, the protection is uh, we're protecting you from us. Yeah, so Amika, on on the surface of watching this the first time, I was sort of like, okay, fine, insert, you know, generic Nigerian thug here. But what I looked up, and I forgot about, I forget if we talked about this when we we first looked up Mr. Echo in the series Bible, Mm -hmm. whether that was real or fake, but Amika was originally the name of Echo's character. And so I think if you actually look at this character as two-dimensional as he is, as Echo coming face-to-face with the version of the past that he is now trying to escape, it's actually a really interesting story, especially the way that Echo deals with it. Yeah, uh, I I totally agree. And I I really don't care for this character for a couple of reasons, but one... But but maybe like I there, there was a time where like I didn't like the character because I thought that like this was a badly written character and like right. this was like a, a gaff on the writer's part of like how is this guy like king shit and he doesn't know who Mister Echo is who is also king shit. <coughs> Sorry, I just sucked in air the wrong way. Oh no, no. <laughs> is it smoke? <coughs> oh god. <coughs> oh man, we're leaving that in. All right. <laughs> We're going to leave that in, everybody. I almost died for you on a podcast. Welcome back. Here's Josh's coughing fit. Oh, God. I swear I'm live. I don't need vaccine. I'm good. Uh, what what works for me, though, 
is Mr. Echo uh, being actually king shit in this world and Amika being like, you know, the, the true Amika is the one who is shown in his final moments of please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. It's like, yeah, this guy bit off a lot more than he could chew. What, which is this, what this dude didn't even know who Mr. Echo was. And that's how Echo sees him. Right. It's like, yes. I believe when, when he just saw them in the jungle, we saw the, the Montan to armless man, but I believe Amika was hiding behind him. Like, powering yeah. and yeah that's the thing is that he's this guy that thought there was a power vacuum stepped up into it and realized that hey maybe these boots are a bit too big yeah so uh fair enough uh so i i think that that works i think that that works as far as the amika character that he is like he is viewed by echo as uh as somebody who's just like cruel for the sake of cruelty no thought behind it like i think in echo's mind at least there was always something bigger like maybe his reputation was saving his brother the deeper he was going into this world the the more protected yemi was no one would dare touch mr echo's brother um i think also a certain degree of borrowing from the title of the show getting lost in the avatar of mr echo in the world of mr echo of what he was becoming but i think he looks at amika and he's like you are you are not king shit. You mm-hmm. are to be flushed. Uh, and I think like, just like no respect for this character at all, especially when Amika just like shoots the person. Yeah. Uh, and he says, I'm, I'm coming back on Friday. And Echo's like, cool, do that. Yeah. Well, it's, it's very, also kind of looking forward to season four, right? If here's Echo and here's Ben both being like, you're not gonna do that. I've been through this. I know what posturing is, but no, they end up killing somebody. And as much as we talk about how Amika, sort of ends up cowering at the end of the day. This is a character who right now is extremely confident in, you know, what he's able to swing around. And yeah, I do think that a lot of the the, the crux of this flashback comes from how does Echo approach a problem when he is trying to sort of take the noble path? And the answer is he can't help but sort of solve it how he knows how to solve problems at this point, which is not in a very biblical way, or actually maybe in a biblical way, considering how graphic the Bible is. So we uh, come back from that, and the smoke monster is like, "Hey, buddy, what you got going on down there?" The smoke monster creeping on Echo. Yeah, hey, uh, you got a little dirt there, and by there I mean everywhere. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's just like smearing dirt all over himself. If this is what you're supposed to do to survive in the wild, I—I I mean, this was not a surprise. I'm dead in the wild. <laughs> You know, so you, like, you draw the line at smearing mud on yourself. No, I just, no, it's not that I draw the line or that I'll do that. I just I don't understand necessarily the utility of smearing mud on your bandaged wound. You know, especially because it's all like he's smearing it on the bandage. Um, mm. I don't really know what it is that he's doing here. Maybe he's uh, like making like some sort of mud pie to like stick down the bandage. Maybe I don't know. Someone someone weigh in. Survivalists, uh, not survivor fans. Survivalists. You could be a survivor fan too. Uh, we would love to know. We would love to know. Uh, Locke, who said, like, uh, everybody at the tree line in 10 minutes, uh, literally like one and a half scenes ago, is now here. Yeah. And so he, uh, him and Echo just sort of do like a little bit of a nod, uh, you know, at each other coming together. I would say, again, this would have a lot more meaning if they had come, if they had not come together during the barricade scene. But here they are staring eye to eye again. Really doesn't bother me that much, but I totally understand. I, I, I you know, I, again, I'm not going to argue that uh, the polar bears in uh, the in further instructions were instrumental uh, <laughs> to the to the greater Echo arc. 
you could take her. You, I could leave him. I could leave him. I could leave uh, the poor man who's, who's the stuntman whose name I now forget. Oh, no. <laughs> Who played the polar bear. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Let's go to Hydra Island. Lunchtime, kids. Uh, all right. Uh, Juliet's made some uh, jelly sandwiches and sliced up some cantaloupe. But this is what she's actually made. Let's listen in sound number two. You want to guess what's for lunch? I'm not. I'm not big on mysteries. Of course you're not. Some people have cheeseburgers. You have no idea what I went through to make this for you. I killed the cow, processed the meat, baked the bun, and the fries. Try rendering animal fat. No ketchup. <laughs> that is that is an incredible scene. I uh, mean, and that's just like the tip of a, of a greater scene. Like this is this yeah. whole scene is incredible, and it begins with this really really funny exchange between Jack and Juliet. Uh, just an, an incredible uh, series of line reads from Elizabeth Mitchell here. I mean, they're the both of them. Like, I love Jack's finisher. No of, like, ketchup. No ketchup. Yeah. Like, it's it's actually it's some. I I ship them. There's some good interplay. Yes. Between the two here. Uh, and I also will say that cheeseburger, no matter where it came from, looked pretty damn delicious. It looked really good. It really looked did. really good. You know, and I'm like kind of a burger snob. I think like my hot take on food is that the burger is the most overrated food item. That like a bad or mediocre burger just like is not worth touching. Uh, and I would say a fast food burger is in its own different category. And then you grade the fast food burgers because sometimes there's just nothing like the 99 cent burger from McDonald's. Mm. Not an advertiser here on this week's Down the Hatch. Um, but I, I, I think like I, I want, I want like a good beefy meaty burger with the, with the bun that looks good. All of the, all of the boxes are ticked here in this burger that Juliet has painstakingly created. And we should just take her at her word, right? That this is literally what she did. She took a cow from like Mikhail's farm at the Mm -hmm. flame station. Maybe, maybe when he was peeking in, it's like right after he dropped off the cow with Juliet Mm -hmm. and he just happened Mm -hmm. to look into the camera. I mean, that's the thing. We've seen Juliet all over the place in the past five episodes. I can only assume she knows how to do everything. We know that she's a baker. She did burn her muffins, but that was probably partly because of grief. Mm hmm. Absolutely. And rendering animal fat. Who's to say that she doesn't have some sort of like rendering plant in the barracks? Didn't she? Uh, is she the one who brings dinner rolls to the dinner party with Ben that actually ends up being a date when she goes, I brought dinner. I hope you like dinner rolls. And then Ben goes, I do indeed. Uh, which will I, yeah, be a wanna, sound that we hear at some point in season four. On the I say so. Also, such a weird line to say I brought dinner rolls. Yeah, uh, but the, even weirder when he looks and he goes, I do indeed. Uh, Ben is so strange. Such a strange guy. But yeah, so I imagine that Juliet is the gourmand here. We we wondered (laughs) who replaced Hurley as the chef, and I think it was Juliet. All right, so I like that. I like that fan fiction. A point for Juliet this week, for sure, for the burger craftsmanship. Um, Ben comes in, and this is where he's like, uh, all right, got to talk to Jack. And Jack's like, anything you say in front of me, I'm comfortable with Juliet being here. And I'm thrilled that you're fine with her being here, but this is Dr. Patient stuff. Mm-hmm. I've got a thing that I want to talk to you about. This is a private matter. Uh, so Juliet leaves. Uh, and this is where Ben's like, we were going to, we had such a good plan to break you. I don't know that you lead with that. <laughs> yeah. And also, I don't know how wonderful the plan was, uh, particularly considering that, I don't know, if your entire plan hinges on Jack not seeing your x-rays, then like, it wasn't a very well-crafted plan. You know, 
a lot of the time so so Ben ultimately is going to deliver a plan that um you know he's not the full engineer of it but he is going to be the 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 straw that breaks the camel's back on Jack's we have to go back uh he's going to kill Locke and that's what right. pushes Jack over the edge so ultimately Ben will engineer a plan a wonderful plan that breaks Jack and gets him back in the mode of like let's get everybody let's get the band back together and let's go back to the island but i think oftentimes when ben employs the let me shoot straight with you strategy to jack i don't think it really works so well like he's trying to tell him here right like he's like he's telling you exactly like this is what the plan was i want Mm -hmm. you to want to save my life and like uh, we were gonna you know i was gonna con you and blah 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 and jack is like gonna ultimately go ahead and do this but only when he sees like an opportunity to make the plan his own um then towards the end of the season when we get you know what will be a contender for the biggest Ben beatdowns of the whole series oh yeah uh when jack just like kicks the snot out of him like kicks his teeth in um it's gonna be after ben's like let's sit down and just like talk straight up and like that doesn't go well either so ben's whole thing here where he comes to jack to to talk like didn't you notice that juliet looks like sarah like that doesn't land well with jack uh so this tact that he takes with jack uh for somebody who's spent a decent amount of time with the good doctor i still don't think that he really gets jack very well quite yet yeah well i think for ben at this point he is trying to make jack see them as like, let's talk leader to leader. You know, you're the leader of 815. I'm the leader of the others. Look, I understand how tough it is. Mondays, right? Like he is trying to, I think, see that personal association with him. And while that worked on someone like John Locke, who I think has a similar devotion to the island, like you said, as much as Jack appreciates honesty, I think at this point, like any bridge has been burnt. Perhaps by the smoke monster, ironically enough, Uh, just because Jack's like, I don't care if you're telling the truth to me or not. You know, you uh, you got Michael to kill people. You took his son. You kidnapped a bunch of us like I'm not going to play buddy buddy with you. And so, like, I don't even think once once Jack sort of gets more entrenched into new Otherton, if he and Ben still even have a working relationship. And so I, I totally agree that I think. The tack that Ben is taking, he's able to work with much more pliable forces like Locke or hell, even Sawyer. Last episode, he gets one over extremely on Sawyer at the end of Every Man for Himself. But Jack is just someone who, at this point, already has a certain opinion of Ben that is not going to be warped by anything that Ben says, whether he's telling the truth or not. Because Jack already has this all figured out. So why does he feel like he needs to listen to him? All right. So before Ben leaves, he is going to posit a question to Jack. I'd like to listen in on that sound number three. Do you believe in God, Jack? Do you? Two days after I found out I had a fatal tumor on my spine, a spinal surgeon fell out of the sky. And if that's not proof of God, I don't know what is. And that's lost, right? Yeah, I mean, let me bring in some some Jim Fell stuff here, not just to go too much to the end, but this scene brings up a, a very rarely used Ben motif, but I think that from a musical perspective, the Ben motif features a lot of, like, harp and violin that really, mm-hmm. especially in season three, like tremolos, 
to signal uh, uncertainty and just general disquietness. But this scene brings in some piano, as you hear, which Jim speculates possibly means that Ben, at this moment in those particular set of lines, is speaking from the heart. That this is not the con that this man has been spinning, you know, since since we found him in the middle of season two, that he does legitimately think in, about this divine providence, yeah. which I would agree with. I think you just replaced the word God with Jacob, and I think this totally scans with Ben's character. Yeah, I, I think so, too. Like, I, I do think that that Ben, I do think that Ben believes, and like the big thing with Ben is he himself is believing in something and following something so fervently and yet is constantly denied access to the undeniable proof. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what makes faith such a difficult prospect for him, ultimately. He is like, uh, I have every reason to believe. I really want to believe. Look how hard I'm believing. Why don't you believe in me? Uh, like, do you believe in God is, is a great question coming from Ben, because I think Ben's probably bigger question would be for God and do you believe in me would be yeah. the question. Uh, you know, and that is what he asks Jacob before he kills him. What about me? Yeah. What about you? <laughs> uh, he interprets that poorly, praising Jacob. You know, maybe oh, you could have delivered that better. This has been an all-time slam podcast on Jacob so far. <laughs> Jacob, you know, really a lot of swings and misses from Jacob. Uh, but I, I just think that that's a, it's a great scene. It's a great encapsulation of Lost. Uh, is this idea of all these people don't, don't mistake coincidence for fate, but, uh, as you point out as well, uh, such a, such a, such a very, very, very Ben Linus-y scene. Um, yeah, and, all, and also a call from Ben as well to, again, this is, this is not going to necessarily fall on Dutch fears, but not maybe work on Jack as well as he thought, but he's now making a plea to Jack of like, you were meant to do this. Yeah. Uh, basically, I know he was intending for the onus to be put on Ben of, Oh, this, this, you know, uh, this opportunity fell into my lap. This means that there are powers above, but I feel like it has to be surreptitiously hinting to Jack too, right? Like, oh, you're the special person that was brought here to do this specifically for me. Turns out not to be the case whatsoever, but you can imagine that again, to your point, bending being such a devout person to Jacob would also try to use as a, as an opportunity for manipulation, even if it doesn't exactly pan out. But also wondering, like, well, I have been in such great service of of Jacob. Was this for me? Is this a gift? Is this a sign from God that he exists? Is this something that he has dropped specifically for me? Um, you know, I think the the me 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 of it all for Ben mm-hmm. um, to to bring well, up such the, a good singing voice the the GI Joe Fensler films of it all. Um, all right, so Echo and Locke they're walking through the jungle. Uh, Locke asks Echo, "Why are you looking for Yemi?" Echo doesn't like that Locke said Yemi. Yeah, this is so interesting because this is such a far cry from the calm Mr. Echo that we see throughout season two. And I think maybe this shows to your point that like Echo is just on his last legs. He is at the end of his rope. Or it could mean that he's so emotionally wound up at this point that he would go aggro on someone like Locke. This is sort of like the old Echo peeking through a bit where usually he is much more taking the devout path of serenity this is a bit of, I think, Warlord Echo peeking through of holding a knife to Locke's throat saying, don't ever say my brother's name again. Yeah, part of me recognizes in in Echo in this episode a guy who, like, recognizes that the, this is, like, the final hour of my life, mm. you know? Like, I, I just, I feel like he, he is, like, on edge in that way. 
of like time is running out for me and I don't have a lot of time to sort my affairs. Like that, that's how I, I don't know. It's just how the character kind of reads to me. Uh, and I don't know how much that is like what's like sort of intentional in the performance versus just like what I'm reading into it. But that's, that's, that's a, a way of looking at the episode of like Echo is so on edge because he knows that what's going on with Yemi is messed up. Uh, and he knows that uh, he's on his way towards, you know, it's time to confess, like, yeah. is such, like, a punctuated, pointed uh, destination that yeah. it feels like a final destination. Or it could be a performance note from AAA, knowing this is going to be his last mm-hmm. episode of, like, I want to show the highs and lows of this character from an emotional perspective. If I'm going to go out, uh, let me, well, let me go out by showing my greatest hits in a manner of speaking. Yeah, Um Maybe final destination also why he ultimately dies. He's supposed to die in the, in the hatch. Mm, I think that makes sense. Polar I mean, bears. In, in that perspective, they could have made things a lot more creative, like those final <laughs> destinations. I want to see Echo get sucked to the bottom of a pool filter oh, or God. die during oh, LASIK. Oh, no. Uh, no. Terrible, terrible, terrible. All right. Flashback. Uh, what's there to say? Echo knows that the, the, the uh, he, he gets all the details about the vaccine. He's going to sell the vaccine. He's got a cool uh, hat on. That's what I made him note of. Yeah, he looks great. He's going to sell the vaccine to make some quick cash on his way out of the country. And I think that this is just helping to inform this idea of who is Mr. Echo in the immediate aftermath of losing the thing that matters to him most. Um, I, I think that that's a worthy meditation for this character on his way out the door. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, it goes back to him getting onto the way we see him in season two was not a light switch. It was a dial. Uh, and, and I think much more effectively than question mark, this flashback does show that it was not an immediate switch that he is someone who's like, Oh crap, this thing is going on. Well, I'm going to get the hell out of Dodge as opposed to when he, you know, actually helping the community. And even when he does, it's not going to be in the most devout way. No, not at all. Uh, so everybody gets to the Pearl station. Mr. Echo kind of goes off on his own. and was like, what's he's doing? And uh, Nikki's like, oh, he's looking for his brother's body. It's in the plane. It's like, shut up, Nikki. Why are you talking right now? You are just lucky to be here on the trip. And now it made me realize, like, did they all know about? I mean, obviously, Nikki and Paolo knew about the Pearl. But when Locke's like, hey, we're all going to the Pearl. I guess that was common knowledge because then nobody's like, oh, wow. What the hell is this place? I've never heard of this before. Mm hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think. uh you know, a bunch of chatty Cathy's among the the gawkers uh, from from whom uh, Nikki and Paolo stem. Um, so it makes sense that they would know all the hot goss as it pertains to Mr. Echo. Uh, but they're going to go down the hatch, much like we do every week, uh, to, to check out what's down in the Pearl Station. But Locke is going to take a time out from his mission to the hatch. He can walk and chew gum. Uh, he's just thankful to walk. Uh, and he, <laughs> he's been uh, chewing gum for a few years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's time to kick ass and chew bubble gum, and I'm all out of kicking. Uh, so he, he's going to talk to, to Echo and help Echo out as Echo is going to search the plane looking for Yemi and Locke maybe into it. That this is, this is the moment because he knows that Echo saw the thing. Right. Like right. he 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 understands that Echo saw the monster, uh, which maybe is not a monster to John. And he wants to know what Echo saw. So this is a conversation that I think gets thought about a lot when it comes to Lost. So what exactly did you see back there? Yeah, I saw it once, you know. What did you see? I saw a very bright light. <laughs> it was beautiful. That is not what 
Paradiso. Yeah. So uh, we wonder, right? Like, did Locke see the monster? Mm-hmm. Did Locke see, does Jacob have a monster form and it's a white light? We'll never know. We'll never get or that. Or was it just angle. Desmond going to the bathroom? Mm-hmm. Or was it just Desmond going to the to the bathroom? Well, yeah, uh, so we'll talk about going to the bathroom later. I, <laughs> it's interesting though, because let's also remember the last time that Locke saw the monster, as much as he talked here and as very uh, early on as White Rabbit about like I looked to the island, the island, and whatever what I saw was beautiful. The last time he saw the monster, uh, the monster was going to drag him into a hole, and Locke looked very scared. So I, I do think it's interesting how, you know, maybe Locke is probing Echo a bit to also find out what he saw, because maybe the, the smoke monster sort of sending him mixed signals at yeah. this point as to what it truly intends. I also think, uh, you know, some fun Jesus symbology here in the giant boulder in front of the plane. It's been obviously more than three days, but Echo rolls it away and lo and behold, the body's not there. Stop me if you've heard that one before, Josh. I've, I've, heard, I've heard tell of this tale. Uh, my question is when John saw the smoke monster the, for, for the first time, is what he saw like, cause we know the smoke monster can take on the form of corpses. Did he take on the form of like a bunch of Dharma workers who had like flashlight helmets on? Mm. Uh, and so like, there was just like a bunch of flashlight helmets on. So Locke just saw like a big conglomerate of bodies with a flashlight helmet on. So that was the bright light. And it was when it all combined together, it was really pretty to look at. Or it could be that, you know, a bunch of Dharma workers happened to get gas during 70s disco night. And they happened to like produce the ghost mirror ball along with the rest of these disco Dharma workers. Mm-hmm. And Locke saw the bright light coming from the disco ball and thought it was beautiful. He could be a big disco fan. I know he loves Geronimo Jackson. Maybe some disco is part of that as well. Yeah, I think that that'd be good. I'd love to, I mean, I would love to see the Locke disco uh, flashback, I feel like would be oh my something God. we've been robbed Terry of. Terry O'Quinn yeah. with an Afro wig. Yeah, I, I just think like him doing the John Travolta walk would be, would be really Yeah, really but knowing good. John Locke, he would then like trip over a kid and like fall into a manhole or something. John Travolta. Uh, all right, let's, uh, so Yemi's gone. Where's my brother? My brother is gone. Uh, Locke says, well, maybe he burnt. Maybe the animals got him. Echo doesn't really want to entertain any of that. He's also not going to go down into the pearl. Uh, he is instead going to stare at the photo of himself and his brother. And he's also going to receive a final gift from John Locke. It's the cross uh, that uh, he wears around his neck that Locke found in the jungle. Yeah, which I think also feels, you know, pretty symbolic as well. Even though Locke has sort of taken on all the characteristics of Echo, he is giving this back to him. And if indeed... Uh, what you're saying is scans about him, this sort of being uh, Echo's long walk to his execution. This is sort of like, they say you can't take it with you, but in this case, Echo is in that he's receiving all right. of his possessions back before he goes. Flashback time, uh, Mr. Echo just like destroys Amika and all of Amika's dudes. Uh, like just, Amika shows up. So you're going to sell the vaccine. I know that you don't know who I am. You clearly don't know who I am. I'm not going to kill you because you're a holy dude. And that's, you know, I don't want to curse myself, but I am going to cut your hands off. And so they t- they bind his hands. And Mr. Echo's like, I could do this with my hands tied behind my back, let alone in front of me. Uh, and yeah, he like, you know, he knocks some dude in the face. Uh, Amika's knife gets buried in the podium and uh, Echo takes it and slice. You know, he montons one guy. Mm-hmm. He holds it up over Amika. Amika's begging for his life. 
And Mr. X says, you do not know who I am before he brings it down. Yep. And then he walks out of the church and he is covered in blood. He also, for some reason, comes out of the church with both the machete and a handgun in his hand. It's like, why did he need to do it like that? Maybe it's he cool thought the, that there cool were for the poster, I guess. Yeah, maybe he thought there were more of Amika's men out there just in okay. case. But yeah, yeah good, probably good. worse image to walk out to, right? It's like, hey, I'm the priest. Uh, I'm, there's a bunch of bodies behind me. I'm slathered in blood, and I'm holding two weapons. Who wants to come in and eat some wafers? Do you think who who is Mister Echo in in this moment? Is this just Warlord Echo, or is this like more purely? who he is some sort of integration of like you guys represent some of the struggle that my brother went through Mm. and i'm i am i am defending my brother's honor in his way in killing these people like does he view what he's doing in this moment as yet another act of protection for yami see i'd like to believe so because i feel like this scene connects directly to the other 48 days when Echo pretty ruthlessly kills those two others. Uh, and that's also what sort of sets off the others as well, of like, okay, listen, you could have kidnapped us, but you choose to kill two of us. That's really going to get us riled up. As I think even at this point, while Echo's still going through his transition, he thinks, you know what? I'm going to do whatever it takes at all costs. What I think, I'm fine. You know, the ends justify the means from Mr. Echo's perspective of, look, I prefer not to have this resort to violence, but you know what? If, if this is what it's going to have to come down to, then I'm prepared for it. I am not the meek, mild-mannered Yemi. I wonder if he almost feels a bit of judgment in Yemi, because, you know, this 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 woman keeps coming up to me like, oh, well, Father Yemi brokered this deal right. to get the vaccines. Father Yemi did this. And I, I wonder if Echo, even though he does feel guilt around his brother's death, which leads him down the path in the present timeline... He maybe feels a bit like, well, Yemi got them into this situation and he's going to get them out of it. I, I do think, and this is going to connect to his quote unquote confession at the end of this episode, that I think Mr. Echo has a unique form of problem solving. And that as much as he might get sort of pushed down the path of, of moral absolutes, he himself does not believe in absolutes. And so I think that while this still is a transitional moment, I think it does plant a lot of seeds for stuff that we see Mr. Echo do on the island, which, while faith-based, still could cross that line morally as to whether or not it's right to do. Yeah, and I think that, that, that there's an interesting thing to examine in, um, you know, Yemi wasn't willing to, like, compromise for Echo, but apparently he was willing to compromise for other people. Um, right. Like there, there was this way where Echo views his life as a compromise for his brother's safety, which and, uh, Jacob Man in Black again. Yeah, like he views his life as a compromise for his brother's safety, and maybe um, sees like in in Yemi, uh, like this man was also willing to compromise, but wouldn't compromise with Echo directly. Like wouldn't have any more of Echo's blood on his hands would not put himself in a place that corrupted Echo any further. Uh, so in, in a way, almost like in Yemi's way, recognizing a way in which Yemi tried to protect Echo, tried to save his soul, tried to protect his soul. Um, so I think like there could be in, in this moment, like some, some processing of that, of, of either like some guilt that's tied up in that or some anger that's tied up in that or some love that's tied up in that. 
a lot. I, I you know, sibling relationships are so complex. Very much. Uh, so. You know, very, 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 as, very, as, very. As very one deep. host once said once upon a time, the interesting thing about being siblings is that none of you are the father or the mother. Yeah, you know, uh, and it's true. That is a true statement. Uh, and there is, there's just a lot there. Uh, and, and so I think this being one of the show's foremost, uh, explorations of that short of Jacob and the man in black, uh, just makes this, a, I think this is, you know, I think this is a very rich and rewarding text, this episode. Yeah. And well, and I think also, like you said, the, the sibling dynamic is something we haven't seen since Boone and Shannon, if that even counts. And right. that obviously has its own sort of circumstances that, that surround it and make it very different. Uh, and you could say that, like, there are certainly brothers in faith. There are certainly brothers uh, from a belief system. Right. And or, technically, everybody is Desmond's brother. Exactly. So, like, that could be the thing. <laughs> but when it comes to, like, blood, you know, the blood that, that courses through the veins that connect Yemi and Echo versus the blood that spatters Echo as he walks out of the church, it's, it's a very interesting distinction. But so I personally read the scene as like a bit of it. And e- echo being like trigger happy, him reverting back to warlord echo for a second of like, okay, how would I ordinarily solve this problem? If I was still my warlord self, but I think part of it is also maybe him setting his own code up in a manner of speaking of it's going to result uh, in the, and things end up being worse for the village. Cause they still have a warlord problem and now they have no church. But at the same time, echo is now sort of set up, how he is going to personify this role moving forward is, you know, let me walk the path of the Lord. But if something gets in my way, I'm not afraid to shoot at it or chop it up. Yeah. And I'm thinking about other sibling relationships on the show. Such, you know, great opportunity with, with Jack and Claire stuff that I don't think that they really capitalize on. Yeah. I agree. Uh, it's like, it's more just like, well, that's a cool connection. Uh, but I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about that stuff more. We've got, we'll have opportunities for that. Uh, a couple weeks from now. Um, all right. So everyone's dead. All of them are dead. Back on the island. Uh, Dr. Mark Wickman, everybody, uh, is just hanging out. He's got two arms right now. Uh, and Nikki is, uh, just like, she's in the chair. She's glued to the TV. Uh, and Locke like, is, Locke is so, you think Locke's like really embarrassed right now, right? Cause he's like, oh, this is the movie that had me going haywire for a couple days. Maybe, maybe to a certain degree. I like how Nikki is like, what about the other TVs? We want to turn one of them on. Maybe uh, there's a certain show that's on that we could watch. I don't know if any of you've noticed me, recognized me from anything. Do you think she would want that, though? Do you think she would want to be recognized? Yeah, why not? You know, it gives her a little more power on the island. Why not? Yeah, I mean, um, maybe at this point, I think if she was still like searching for those diamonds, she would want the less attention on her, the better. But I wonder at this point now she's bored enough that she's going full Charlie and is like, oh, you have you heard of me with, you know, with expose? Razzle yeah. dazzle anyone? Yeah, razzle dazzle. Uh, so that's what Nikki is doing. What's Paolo up to? Your tour of duty in the last three weeks. <laughs> The toilets do works. This, uh, so I, I was, I was on the Storm podcast with Joanna Robinson a couple weeks ago for Expose, and we were talking about how, like, this scene around the internet, I believe it labeled Paolo as takes a shit guy. <laughs> uh, like, there's just like, there's just like, there's no recovering from this. No. This is a character who is, who is having his biggest introduction, basically. You know, he's, he's been introduced. He was in Every Man for Himself. But here he is, part of like the A squad, looking for Mr. Echo and looking for the Pearl. This rando from nowhere with no explanation 
And in the middle of everybody trying to figure out what to do about like how to contact the others and everything, he's just apparently taken a tour of duty, as Doctor Wickman uh, would, would describe it. Uh, so yeah, I believe he became became known as takes a shit guy. Uh, there was just no way to ever come back from that for, uh, for Nikki and Paolo. And Nikki, I think, got some spray from that as well. Oh, ew, ew. I mean, yeah, there's, and especially again, talking about the characterization between like him having sex in Jack's tent and him complaining to Desmond last episode about how, you know, everyone else goes out into the jungle and, and they don't include him. And then now him saying like, hey, I poo pooed in the pearl. It's just not, it's really over three in terms of the introduction. Like, Nikki's fine. I suppose here she's the one that points out wisely like, oh, wait, there's a chance that there could be more hatches here. I'm finally catching on to what these two other guys didn't the last time we were here. But yeah, Paolo is superfluous to this episode completely. Yeah, yeah. takes a shit guy, everybody. Um, so Saeed is going to figure out how to reroute the TVs to look in on the TVs of the other stations because Saeed's a genius and he does this in like five seconds. Um, and picture comes up and there's another station and Paolo goes, hey, look, computers, cool, shut up, Paolo. Uh, here's Mikhail, first sighting of Mikhail with his eye patch and this lit everybody up. Uh, flame station, yep. pun unintended. Uh, and everyone's like, oh, who's the eye patch guy? Who's the eye patch guy? We'd have to wait a little bit longer to find out in greater detail who the eye patch guy is. One thing that I noted this time, Mike, that I had never noted before is this is our first introduction to the guy who's going to basically kill Charlie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he puts his hand up to the camera. Oh, uh, kind of, yeah. Kind of like a cool contrast to the Not Penny's book. Yeah, that's a great call that we forget that as many times as Mikhail dies, his final sort of uh, streak if you believe that, again, we'll move forward with my personal... Careful with the streaks. Careful yeah, with the streaks. Uh, but my personal theory is that Mikhail died with the sonar fence and that every time we see him afterwards, it is the smoke monster. But the last time we see, apparently, Mikhail is him, uh, you know, blowing up the window into the looking glass. But it's yeah, that's a great call forward. Uh, and Locke, again, just like really basically like tripping on E this entire episode <laughs> smiles and says, Oh, I guess he'll be expecting us. So I'm not sure what Locke has in mind, but he is very happy to meet Mikhail. Apparently yeah. Locke is having a great time here. So yeah, introduction to Mikhail. We're going to have a lot to talk about with Mikhail in the weeks ahead. I do just remember being like, Ooh, I patch man. That's cool. Yeah. Well, especially because uh, he was wearing a Dharma uniform as well, mm-hmm. which we, you know, we hadn't seen since the end of live together, die alone. And we, had assumed that all the other, since the only other one we really knew about, we knew the Pearl and we knew the Arrow, both of which had been vacant. We thought like, okay, all these other blast maps, uh, the blast map stations are apparently vacant as well. Apparently not. Uh, yeah. Seems the flame is at least populated by one person and many cows minus one that went to Juliet. And he he's on screen long enough, and I don't know if he's in the guest cast list, uh, but... Certainly people were able to connect that this is Andrew Divoff, who is uh, a horror icon or at least icon adjacent as the Wishmaster. Uh, and I remember, I don't remember which Wishmaster movie this is in, but there's, you know, his character, the Wishmaster, grants you wishes and it's never what you want. You usually die because of it. Uh, and there's one movie where he's in jail. I remember watching it with my brother when I was a kid and mm-hmm. I don't remember like the context. I think it's like he's like, he's trying to like recruit somebody to his cause or he's just doing like one of his evil wish mastery things about trying to kill somebody. But like, he's asking this other guy in prison, he goes, what is it you want? Money, power, six. Uh, and that line has always been what I've associated with Mikhail Bakunin as a result. Interesting. So maybe he could have do some, done some better bargaining with eight one five. Once they come into contact <laughs> with him and take him money, power, 
Six. Um, okay, so that's Mikhail. Let's go back to Hydra Island. What's going to happen here is a scene that if this was not the cost of living and the Mr. Echo death episode, I think that this episode could have been called Lost Actually, as we are going to have <laughs> yeah, Juliet. And, Mar- and Rodrigo Santoro would be in it mm-hmm, as well. Indeed. And Juliet is going to come to Jack with a television. She says, I wanted you to watch a movie. And I also wanted to talk to you a little bit about the thing with Ben. And what you are going to hear, the exact opposite of everything (laughs) that Juliet is saying is what's actually happening on television. You don't trust me anymore? I trust you just fine. Just thought I'd put a movie in. You know what? I'm going to pass on the movie. You'll like this one, Jack. To Kill a Mockingbird. It's a classic. Juliet, I don't want to watch a movie right now. I'll turn the sound down then. I felt like I should apologize, say I'm sorry. I'm sorry for bringing you here. And for everything that's been done to you and your friends. You have to know, we were desperate. It was all so we could save his life. Ben. He's a great man. I know you find that hard to believe, but he is. You probably feel like you don't have a choice, but you do, Jack. Free will is all we've really got, right? I just wanted to put in my two cents. I told you before you can trust me. I want you to trust me now when I tell you that doing the surgery is absolutely the right thing for you to do. It's the right thing because he deserves to live. Turn the movie off. Jack. Turn it off. Now. about what I said. Please. One of the best scenes of the season so far, for sure. Oh, Uh, an all-timer. I'll go as far as to say that's the best Hydra Island scene we ever get. It's up there. Uh, yeah, I, I I think it it's it's a real contender for sure. I I I love uh, Jack on the radio with Kate next week, but uh, this is just th- really creative. Yeah, really great performance from Elizabeth Mitchell from Matthew Fox as well. Oh yeah, um, yeah, he really sells the turn the movie off when you know he's supposed to come across as like very withered, and obviously when 
Juliet comes in. The chumminess is out the window. They're no longer bantering about burgers. Jack is now fuming after what Ben told him that now he's sort of like forsworn Juliet. Yeah. But Juliet says forsooth. And she says, here, watch this. And despite now knowing that there's a chance he might have someone on the inside wanting to work with him, he does a good job of being the con man in a manner of speaking and trying to come across like he's still in that mood is when she came in. Well, I, I think that he, yeah. And, and, and one thing that I, I noticed on, on this watch that I hadn't seen before was when Juliet says, think about what I said as she leaves. Jack gives like a very earnest nod back. Yeah. Uh, you know, and of course he's not gonna, you know, he's not gonna do the plan. Like he has his own plan that he's gonna come up with. Um, but I, I think in this moment, at least he's considering it for real. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I love this scene so much because first. So great. It's so great. Everybody loves Ben. Translation. Everybody hates Ben. <laughs> ben should totally live. Translation. Ben should totally die. Uh, everybody thinks that Ben is a really good person who definitely deserves to live and you should do the surgery. Translation. Everybody thinks Ben's a big piece of poo-poo and yep. think that you should sever his spine and kill him in the surgery and it'll be an accident. You should do that. Well, even uh, to the point just... where it's like, free will is all we've got, right? And the cards say like, oh, well, we hate Ben because Ben makes us feel small. Yeah. It's, it's so great. And I love what it represents to like, obviously now we have the hindsight as to what Juliet has been undergoing. You talked about the dinner rolls of it all. But really, outside of a couple of choice scenes, this is the first time that we see Juliet's true feelings about Ben and the position she's in. And the cracks were starting to show a bit with the picket of it all, you know, the past few episodes. But this is really the first time that we see a major crack here, some insubordination. And it is so fantastically done. I love the theming of double talk as well. The irony that Ben tries to be as quote-unquote truthful as he is to Jack in this episode, but Juliet is the one to win him over by precisely doing double talk and appeasing the cameras and being truthful with Jack. There's even though, you know, as much as you might talk about the oppositional talk, there is still meaning in what Juliet is talking if you ascribe to it the meaning from the cards, like when she says, that's up to you, Jack, or when she says, I want you to trust me now when I say that surgery is absolutely the right thing to do. From her perspective, she's not wrong with that. I will dock her a small point for maybe not the best use of the cards. Like, I don't think Ben is a liar had to fit onto one card entirely. You could have fit a couple of other sentences on there. The jungle's not lacking for trees, but I have to imagine how many died in order for Juliet <laughs> to be able to make these cards happen. Yeah, how many how many slices of Michael had to oh, be no! taken? In order to create this poster board, uh, it's just it's just a great scene, and this is like very clearly like Juliet shooting her shot. Yeah, you know? and, and there's incredible cinematography here as well, where the the last shots in this scene, uh, Ben. Well, actually, so Ben before when he talks to Jack, the the lighting in the fish tank is very two face in a manner of speaking, where Ben's one of Ben's I think his left side is shrouded in darkness, and his right his light right side is lit up, which sort of symbolizes again two-faced aspect of it and that final shot as you mentioned when jack and julia look at one another they're both sort of like shrouded in blue light yeah to really add some like ambiance and a real tone to the scene and that's how we leave off of hydra island that's how we end this episode and it's such a great point to leave things off of because now it leaves things really up in the air where jack knows you know what he has to do but now, you know, he might not be stuck here forever because there might be someone that's willing to help him. So that's the end of the Hydra Island stuff and the rest of the episode. 
is the Echo send off. And it begins with the flashback where, you know, Echo is packing up to leave and the church is now being boarded up and closed because Echo defiled it. Basically, it's no longer sacred. Um, the, yeah, that'll the woman, happen when you kill a few people in it. Yeah, the woman that he's been speaking with throughout the episode tells him, like, those men you killed are going to be replaced by other men. Um, and one day you'll be judged for what you did. You should start making your peace now. Uh, and if you really believe that this is Yami's church, you owe him a church. Yeah. And I, I guess also, that explains why he's building a Starbucks. I mean, a church on the island. I also love that uh, Daniel asks him, are you a bad man? Because I definitely heard it initially as, are you Batman? Which, <laughs> I mean, Batman has also made some very morally ambiguous choices. So it's not too far off. Adewale would be a badass Batman. That'd be super cool. I uh, would <laughs> love that. But only as Mr. Echo as Batman. I believe he ended up being Killer Croc. Yes, he uh, did. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I think he needs another try in a DC character. <laughs> Batman adjacent. Um, yeah. So that's what's going on there. And I think, like, again, like, the the punctuation of, like, not just, like, Yemi dying in his hands, but, like, how he bungled Yemi's legacy on his way out the door. Mm-hmm. I, I do think that that's instructive. I do think that that helps inform the character a little bit more as we as we start to lose him as we as we begin the process of leaving Mr. Echo. Uh I think this flashback does have utility and I think it's got some great scenes in it. Uh I have basically zero issue with the flashback. Um this poor village just I feel I know, so, it's feels been through so a lot. bad now. It's been through a I lot. I guess they they're swimming in vaccines but now they're going to have a world now, war problem yeah. and now they have no church to absolve yeah, their sins. So it's tough. It's tough. Very very bad. Um, all right. So back on the island, as Echo is sort of just chilling by the plane, here he comes, Mr. Smoke Show. We heard this at the top of the podcast. Uh, Yemi is going to lure Echo out into the middle of this field filled with flowers that I do not believe we ever see again on the show. I don't think so, which is fine, because again, if you want to leave it for like a special moment, but God, this is a great one. Flora is gorgeous. And maybe it's because we're not used to seeing Flora sans the orchid quite literally on Lost that it to have it it's almost like the poppies from the Wizard of Oz which again mm. brings up this idea of like oh is it all uh, hallucinative uh, is it like a yeah, hallucinatory right, right, right. yeah yeah for sure getting very sleepy um all right well here it is for the second time on Down the Hatch we're going to listen to uh, we we heard this once upon a time once upon a while in a previous echo episode we brought this in early we're going to bring it in again cuz it's important it's Echo's final confession listen it I ask for no forgiveness, Father. For I have not sinned. I have only done what I needed to do to survive. A small boy once asked me if I was a bad man. If I could answer him now, I would tell him when I was a young boy I killed a man to save my brother's life I am not sorry for this I am proud of this I did not ask for the life that I was given but it was given nonetheless. And with it, I did my best. 
You speak to me as if I were your brother. A long time ago, a small boy asked me if I was Batman. I should have said yes. Um, is there anything that you want to add to the conversation around Echo's confession at this point, Mike? So I know that that last episodic podcast, we talked about my favorite line of Lost, Dear Goo Goo Gaga. Mm-hmm. But I will say one line that is also really stuck with me for very different reasons is I did not ask for the life I was given, but it was given nonetheless. And with it, I did my best. Because, I mean, you talk about emblematic phrases of Lost. And this, I feel like, is one that is not talked about a lot, but man, does it speak volumes to not only the show, but to life, especially nowadays, with how many circumstances in the world get thrown at us each and every day, and how we almost need to forgive ourselves for the the decisions we make and the reasons that we do things just because of the circumstances around us. I know I've certainly reckoned with that as well. And this scene, I don't know, I viewed this scene differently the first time than when I, I viewed it now. And it's weird to say, but I think a little bit is, is couched in my own sense of self-forgiveness. Like the first time I saw this, I'm like, no, Echo did some really bad shit. Why does he not, you know, confess about it? But to see Echo's final stand here, the reason why I love it so, so much is because Echo affirms here he is a man who is going to die on his feet and live on his knees. Uh, he is somebody who is going to say, I have been through a journey. I have straddled both sides of morality and tried to figure out exactly what the right thing to do is. And I have realized that I have made no mistakes in the path that I've explored. I have certainly done bad things, but those were rational. Those were out of necessity. Now, granted, You might say from an objective perspective, that might not be the case. But to give that perspective to Echo, it's such an amazing, it's such an amazing confession. Again, not really a confession because he he said he has nothing to confess, but it's an amazing statement to me because it shows that, again, when there are these themes of, of absolutes in Lost, man of science, man of faith, one player is white, one player is black, you know, even the brothers of, of Jacob and the man in black to represent that. Here is a character who will outright say, actually, it's somewhere in the middle, and I am more than happy to live in the middle. It's such a new statement about the show that we really don't experience from many characters, especially when things do become a bit more good versus evil, even as, as you know, uh, recent as as this season with the, the induction of the others and sort of what Ben is doing. So for Echo's final moment, if, for him to essentially realize I am comfortable with what I did to the point where I have journeyed all this way to seek forgiveness and confess to my brother, and I realize I don't need to. It is incredibly, incredibly powerful. And that's what I say at the very beginning of this podcast, that I think Echo, from a psychological perspective, goes out on a high note, because he has affirmed to himself that the ends did justify the means. Yeah, I mean, I think... You know, we talk about how the show's argument is not uh, like the it, the answer to the man of science versus man of faith debate is is supposed to be 
a little column A, a little column B. So you're talking about like that balance that Echo is striking here. Uh, like he's reached the resolution that you're supposed to reach by the end of the show, right? Like that is, that is, that is where he's at in this moment. He's somebody who both believes, uh, in, in, in this higher power, but also believes in the practicality of working within the circumstances that you are given right. and, and knowing that he can't be forgiven for some of his things. Um, but also knowing that that's not something he needs either, uh, that that is not something he needs from something else. He needs to be able to forgive himself. Uh, and Mike, I'm really happy to hear that you in this time have found self forgiveness because I have not forgiven you for Count Jacula. No, I, have, well, I don't just, think uh, he can forgive you for the Count Jaculum. <laughs> That you that you brought up before, yeah, gross. But, yeah, but that's the thing is, well, it's on the floor. But the, the, that's an interesting point, though. Is I think what Echo is saying is ascribed to a lot of people. Sawyer is in this weird cyclical thing where he was had a life foisted upon him, but he makes purposely self destructive choices to keep in that vicious cycle. John Locke is someone who has had a lot of circumstances fall into his lap and has changed. As a result, a lot of these characters, like you said, given where they were in their lives, can certainly agree with this statement of, I did not ask for the life I didn't that ask I was given. for this. This is what I was given, and I'm doing my best. Yeah. It is all anyone can can do, is to do your level best. Like, you know, maybe Echo shouldn't have done all of the things that he did, but maybe he didn't have the luxury of making some of these choices, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, but, I mean, the line, you speak to me as if I'm your brother... Super chilling. chilling. So, chilling. so chilling. Such Bone a great chilling. turn as well. Cause again, as weird as Yemi was this entire episode, like, I think he was still like a welcoming force. You know, as we've talked about in the previous two Echo episodes, this was a Yemi who guided him to the Pearl, who yeah. guided him to the Beechcraft. Like, this was supposed to be a welcome spirit guide in Echo's life. And that the turn here is so. It's such a betrayal. But it, but it's this, it's this double betrayal in this interpretation of the man in black being so bitterly disappointed in Echo's answer. Yeah. Right. Of like, oh, so you're not going to be my guy. You're not going to you're not going to bend to me. You're not going to bend the knee. I'm going to have to kill you now. We don't relate on this level. Uh, like it's it's you're you're not going to be my disciple. Uh, I think this is something that is uh, brutally disappointing to the man in black and is a huge piece of why the very next scene we get is the death. Right. It's the mm-hmm. beatdown of Echo just getting wrecked by the man in black, by the smoke monster. It's so horrible to watch. Uh, it is. It, I don't know. It was just really tough yeah. to watch this time. No, I mean, it's, it's brutal because, again, we hadn't seen the monster kill anybody since Seth Norris. We've certainly seen, you know, brutal deaths, but nothing like And Even Seth Norris got killed off camera and then dropped bloodily into trees. Echo, we see every ounce of him getting thrown around. I will also recommend if people want to search out the Lost on Location for this episode, which we'll probably put in the show notes, does a great job of really showing how this scene comes to life between the wire work and making the smoke monster come to life. It's a really cool thing if you're interested in behind the scenes stuff. But yeah, I mean, this is, this is brutal. They are tearing this character apart. Another reason why I also like the, you speak to me as if I'm your brother is because again, if we're connecting this to the man in black's personal struggle, exactly. He sees, now he sees like, Oh, I thought you were like me, but you're like Jacob. Uh, yeah. You speak to me as if I am your brother. You speak to me as if you were, we're not brother. brothers in this, like as if like this could have been a brother of his own. You know, one of the one of the things as well is I, I often uh, ha- have have assigned what happens with Mr. Echo, um, what happens with John Locke as being like picking up all of like the Mr. Echo story energy. Um, but Damon Lindelof uh, does state that a lot of what happens 
in the stories with Desmond and Ben moving forward are are retrofitted pieces of what was going to happen with Mr. Echo. That with Desmond, the psychic visions of the future and all of that stuff was going to be happening through Mr. Uh, through Mr. Echo rather than through Desmond. But what's like the Ben stuff that was that was there through through Mr. Echo? And like you can you can imagine that you can imagine that world in which if if Mr. Echo chose the right cup to drink from here, if he chose wisely, <laughs> right? Uh, that like he is not smashed into a tree, he's not killed here, um, but he is now a huge piece in the monster's plan to bring down Jacob, and Echo is occupying the Ben role where his faith is going to get him into a position where he gets Jacob killed and helps un- unlock the monster. So yeah, Dom, um, I would definitely see a point where Echo basically take Ben from, you know, uh, there's no place like home moving forward and replace him with Echo. And I could very much see a very similar path. Yeah. So I, I think, I think that that is, is very there. Including and like killing Locke. If, if, you know, we talk about yeah. the Locke Ben relationship, but I could also see a, a world Echo where Echo kills, kills Locke because that's sure. a very interesting relationship as well. 100% that like Echo starts seeing visions of a future and he's like, okay, this is the way it has to go. And he's having like a lot of faith in the visions that he's seeing, but the visions are bad. Right, like he's seeing something that the monster wants him to see. Yeah, and he, uh, could, and he could have a connection with Charlie too, considering yes. that he had that in season two with him. You know, there, so there's there's a lot of ways in which you can imagine how like the Desmond and Ben storylines could have been folded through Echo, and they are like very scary to consider. Uh, and I I actually do think what we get with Echo is a much happier ending for the character mm-hmm. in in the long run. I just do think it's it's so interesting. You speak to me as if I'm your brother does have this this other meaning once you know who the man in black is and that interpretation of like we were going to be brothers in this like you were going to be my guy you were going to come were off the, the chosen one me. yeah you know the way that like he looks at claire later on mm-hmm. is like uh you know almost in this like paternal way uh so that's 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 a really fascinating read so he kills mr echo uh he ba- he bashes him around the end of the episode has beautiful music and imagery um the imagery will be harder to hear. Uh, we'll talk. We'll, 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 we'll talk. We'll talk about it. But let's just listen to the end of the episode. Echo. It's okay. It's okay.
خودتی سه جان He said you're next. He said you're next. It's you. He said you're next for sure. Uh, how uh, you are all every last one of you. You, Saeed, Desmond, Nikki, and Paolo uh, will die I hate next. that Nikki and Paolo are there for Echo's death. They <laughs> don't know, deserve to be there. <laughs> they don't. They don't. Just pretend that they're not there. Just like George Lucas them out of your mind. Yeah, couldn't you just go into the bathroom again, Paolo? Uh, so there, there he goes. Uh, there just he like goes that. again. He's uh, he is gone, Mister Echo, an echo in the wind. Um, Mike, can you pull in anything from um, the Jim Fells music analysis now? Is there is there anything from this uh, that Jim weighed in on? I'd, I'd be really curious to hear. Actually, there's not really. Uh, he does make mention of something completely different that maybe we'll get to at the end. But no, I mean it's you can hear it. It's sort of as a meditation on life and death and i can imagine it mixes in some of the echo motifs uh from you know his previous two outings but jim if there was anything i missed or if you have any uh sub stuff in your miscellaneous notes about the echo death scene definitely let us know because it's definitely a take on life and death and i'm happy it's different than the outright life and death because this feels different well it yeah what it what it feels like to me and the reason why i ask and it's because this is this is this is again fanficy stuff, but this is how I have come to view the cost of living and how I've come to view the ending of Mr. Echo. Uh, is that sounds like the end of Lost? It's mm. not. It's not the end of Lost. Um, but it, it, the feelings it evokes within me are are the feelings that are evoked when Jack is dying, and you are now aware of what happens when you die in this world that whatever mattered most to you whatever be- helped you become who you who you ended up as um that you find those people again you find those circumstances again you get to move on together again so this brings us back to the first scene of the episode and and so the final thing that you're seeing in this is is Mr. Echo is passing away he you know he whispers to John you see this vision of him and Yemi walking together as boys. Uh, and we get this very, uh, you know, kind of like surreal look of them walking off into the sun uh, and the, the, the slow motion kicking back up again to a certain degree. There's like a surreality to it. Yeah. Um, and I think you connect that back to the first scene of the episode of Echo and Yemi eating the crackers and Echo being told uh, that this was a sin and that he must confess, confess, confess. That being such a specific underlined word throughout this episode that I, I choose to read the ending of Mr. Echo as that first scene in this episode with him and Yemi as boys and him and Yemi getting to walk off away at the end as Echo's sideways. Uh, oh, interesting. That that's where Echo gets to go. That he and Yemi get to find each other. And I think especially when you think of where Echo landed, I guess literally, uh, <laughs> but, but where, where, where Echo emotionally landed at this place of, I don't need to apologize to my brother, but I do need to talk to my brother and help him understand who I am. Mm. Um, it feels like there is, and, and I think in Yemi's final moments too, Yemi did that for his brother as well, right? Like, I'm coming to save you. I can't, I can't let you, I can't let you go like this. I have to yeah. save you. Um, that this love for each other was, was so profound between 
these brothers. Uh, and you think about like things that were activation points in the sideways or ways in which like people's endings uh, were reflected in their sideways uh, existence, like Jack with the, the cut on his neck or the right. cut to his side that he gets from his final battle with the man in black. Um, I just look at that word confess as such an underlined word in the final few minutes of Mr. Echo's life. And I just think it's a happier way to look at it. That like, and I think that there is this look of, I don't know about contentment. Maybe I think um, I think peace is probably peace. a good way to put it. Peace. Uh, that yeah, and I think like a, a a potential like buster to this idea is uh, well, doesn't Hurley play chess with Mister Echo at some point? in the future of the show and i would so like there's a there's a ghost of mr echo somewhere around here so how does he make it to his end of the flash sideways i would respond to that by saying there's a charlie ghost and charlie makes it through the church door uh and also that christian shepherd explicitly says there is no now here so uh you know if you're going to subscribe to the belief that the people like the whispers who don't move on like michael um, never, ever, 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 ever move on. And that's a really bleak outlook well, for those people. Yeah, once you may, like, once you die, you're there forever. It's, yeah. it's rough. As, as opposed to just like time does not apply to that next step that they get to, that they, or that final step that they get to take before they become whatever they become next. Um, so for me, the, the, like, the power of the cost of living is not just in like how this advances smoke monster mythology through Mr. Echo, because I think it really does that beautifully. But I also think that the ending of Lost recontextualizes Echo's death for me and my stupid, over-obsessed, built-a-lost-to-animal-crossing-island-obsessed brain with the show that I, I view the cost of living and this final scene of Echo and Yemi walking off together as their version of going through that church door at the end of the whole show. No, I had I had a very similar thought that this felt to me like a representation of these two brothers seeing each other again in the afterlife. And then th- maybe that's sort of this piece with Echo as well when he dies is like, I thought I was talking to my brother here. Clearly, I was led astray. But now I finally get to and now I know what I need to say to him. It's it's such an interesting way to end the character. Plus, I mean, you talk about connecting back to the first end of the episode. I think it connects back to the very first scene we see the two of them, right? He's holding the soccer ball. And the very first scene we see in the 23rd yeah. Psalm is of the two of them playing soccer with a group of boys. So it's very much like these two brothers not only meeting each other again, but I think also going back to a place where things were less complicated when things were more blissful, when they could just be unfettered kids playing soccer, you know, in the dirt instead of having to deal with all this, that they go back to that despite all the complications, I think is beautiful. And I totally agree. I came in, I came into this podcast with the exact same read that I don't know if it's as, you know, exact as, well, Echo is now doing this in his sideways universe and then he meets Yemi and then they move on together. But that scene to me not only closes the book of Mr. Echo, but it means to me like, it's almost like, and they lived happily ever after in that these two, or at least in Echo's continuous quest to find Yemi, he finally was able to find him and realize what he needed to say to him. And despite how brutally thrashed this guy has been since the hatch blew up, emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually, his cup overflows. Yeah. 
That's the cost of living. I think it's a really rich episode. Yeah. I, 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 for me, like, yeah, Nikki and Powell are there. That sucks. But the, the richness of the, of the episode for me, it's, oh, it's just been such a rewarding episode to always revisit that this is a very clean 4.2 for me where I don't have to look over my shoulder and regret it. Um, it's just, it, it's so fascinating to me. It's such a beautiful performance from Adewale, uh, especially from a guy who was not at peace with his experience mm-hmm. for the, for the performance to be this good at the end. Uh, I think is is really just spectacular uh, from an actor who I've who I've really appreciated for a very long time. We've touched on a lot. I, I do want to get a couple of feedback questions in before we move on to the to the final business here. Daniel Brennan said, "Are you guys satisfied with Mister Echo's arc on Lost? Had AAA been willing to remain on the show, where would you have liked to have seen his character fit in the End Game? I think we talked about like a few of the the directions we could have seen it go. I I I guess I do prefer this ultimately. Yeah, I mean, I think well, just because like now I'm thinking about. Looking at what happened with Desmond and Ben, if the, if the alternative was let's take those storylines away from them and give them to Echo, I think we got the best of all possible worlds. I really do, where we got this beautiful way to send off this character in such like a weird yet satisfying context, plus Desmond gets to do all his freaky shit that ends up resulting in the constant, plus Ben has his own personal journey about faith to Jacob that ends up, you know, killing the person he worships and then becoming the realizing that he doesn't necessarily need to become the man in charge. Like we have three fantastic character storylines now instead of just one. So it ended up being a really good thing. Uh, this is from Dallin Servo. Echo mentions that Yemi's body has gone similar to how Christian's body was missing. Does the man in black hide the bodies he decides to impersonate? Is that also why Bram and Ilana take extreme measures to protect Locke's body in season five so they can have proof of the man in black's manipulations? I like that theory. Yeah. I mean, there is a big old giant pit in the middle of the jungle where they can easily throw bodies onto. But yeah, I can imagine here, you know, when it comes to taking Christian's body, uh, we talked about this during White Rabbit, that that definitely seems like the smoke monster really effing with Jack when he's already at the end of his rope. That I can imagine still part of the con here is them being like, well, maybe this is Yemi because his body is gone. Otherwise, his body would be here, right? Like, you don't want Echo to be onto your plan until you give that turn with, uh, you know, you talk to me as if I were your brother. Uh, one more is from Eric Divestein. Did the others all have to make their own white robes or are they standard issue when you join? Uh, listen, Juliet sews them all. The first, <laughs> when you go into orientation, you have to give your, uh, your tunic uh, size to Juliet and she'll make that for you and deliver it to your barrack. That's very funny. <laughs> let's, let's get to the MVP LVPs. Uh, Mike, you've got three MVPs. I've got two. You've got three LVPs. I've got, uh, no, I've got three LVPs. You've got two. Uh, I'm just gonna, I, you know, Mr. Echo dies. Usually I give an LVP. No chance. Um, I, I gotta give him an MVP here. This is Ottawale's swan song. Mm-hmm. He does such a great job. We're never gonna get another chance to, to give or take a point for Mr. Echo. It's his only point of season three. It's gonna land him at a 16 overall. That's a loss number. Would have been anyway if it was a 15. Yeah. Uh, but it, it still feels, still feels good to, to put him there as he's going to end his run on lost. At 16, still the decisive second place holder of the MVP LVP category. I don't know. Do we dock a point next week when John uh, looks at the message on his stick and it's super vague? <laughs> maybe. Should have been like, All right, Locke, here's what you do. Uh, maybe, maybe. Um, I'm going to give a point to the thing that kills Echo. It's been a while since we've done this, but I'm going to give a point to the monster here because now yeah, we can fair. officially confirm... This was the smoke monster. You know, I know the horse stuff is still ambiguous. I know that literally everything is the smoke monster, but the smoke monster gets one and over on Echo 
and beats the crap out of him. And maybe Locke does misinterpret his message to make him look more menacing than he does. But the monster is is able to to kill someone here. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Points to the monster, props to the monster, advancing his agenda. Uh, I think we're both probably going to give an MVP point to this person, Juliet. Yep, I'll Uh, I'll add one onto there as well. Much like a ketchup on a cheeseburger. Yeah, where's the ketchup? Yeah, for all the reasons we've articulated. Just an an incredible Juliet episode. Uh, She is currently the season three leader uh, above Sawyer, who's at four. Juliet's at six. Well, yeah, we were surprisingly Sawyerless this episode. I do believe there was a deleted scene where, thank God they cut this out, where they go back to the runway after all this. I don't think we need to see Sawyer immediately after the events of Every Man for Himself, so I'm happy they cut that out. But I'm going to give my my last MVP point to the recipient of the No Ketchup Burger. I'm going to give it to Jack here, because I feel like Jack, for the second episode in a row continues his his great streak of being onto the other scheme, seeing completely through Ben. I feel like Jack has the upper hand here, despite the fact that he is in such a subjugated position, and I want to give him kudos for it. Yeah, so Jack, who's been uh, languishing in the red, has just uh, zeroed out. He's at zero for the season right now uh, and is uh, in the top four overall, still tied with Kate uh, at 11 for Jack and 11 for Kate overall and zero for season three. So far, LVP time. I think we're going to be lockstep on, uh, you know, I have the the bonus point. Um, but Amika, screw mm-hmm. you. You suck. Paolo takes a shit guy. You suck. <laughs> uh, I feel like you're going to be flinging doo-doo at Paolo as well. Yep. Um, doo-doo goes to Paolo and doo-doo goes to Amika as well. Self-explanatory. And then I'll give the final LVP to Benjamin. I think Ben just bungles this one this mm. week. It's yeah. not a good Ben week. Yeah, I mean, listen, when you have uh, Jack seeing right through you and then Juliet purposely scheming against you, yet tricking you on the camera, not a, not a good week. Because you know that Ben's in that in that you know TV watching room, nickying it the entire time. Yeah, it's like, what are they watching? What is that? What are they? What, what are they talking about? What movie did she bring in? Well, she did say to, to kill a mockingbird, so maybe he tuned out. Maybe he's not a huge fan of that. It's like, oh, overrated. Um, speaking of overrated, am I overrating the cost of living with a 4.2? I'll tell you, it's far from the average, which is a 3.6. I will say the average, uh, for this episode is significantly brought down by a lone 1.5. I will not identify the giver of the 1.5 other than to say, I strongly disagree with the take that the 1.5 goes to the cost of living, uh, because the cost of living is, among, if not the worst episodes for this person in their ratings. Um, but that is a, a very lonely 1.5. Everything else at the lowest is a 3.1. Uh, there are a couple of 4.2s. There's a 4.1. There are high threes as well here for the cost of living. This is just one of the episodes of Lost that I think about the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, if, if anything, it's just risen in my estimation after after watching it this time. So it's a clean 4.2 for me. Yeah, I was really going back and forth as to whether or not I like this episode more than A Tale of Two Cities, which I was very high about. Uh, and I gave A Tale of Two Cities a 3.9. And I think especially after talking through it with you and especially seeing the value of the flashbacks, even if they were not as enjoyable as the 23rd Psalm, this is going to just edge out A Tale of Two Cities. So it's getting the, the straight 4.0. From me, I think this is very well done. I'm very satisfied with the way that they ended Echo's character. Feature some incredible scenes on Hydra Island. As I said, I think that Juliet tape scene might be the best Hydra Island scene that we get. I think it gets taken down a little bit because of the Nikki and Paolo of it all. And you definitely, especially in retrospect, see the shoehorning in 
that goes on a bit, especially from like the, I think the locks group perspective is, is a bit extraneous to everything. So I would not call it necessarily perfect, but a very well done episode. And I would definitively say, since we only have one more episode of this batch, I would say of these very much maligned first six episodes, definitely the best of the crop. Yeah, not even a question as far as I'm concerned, but we will talk about that next week. I do! I love him, Laurel. I do! Uh, I love him for the man he wants to be and the man he almost is. I love him, Laurel. I love him! I assume we're talking Jerry Maguire? No? I can only respond with, show me the Marzi. But unfortunately, no. Instead, we're going to get a little bit of Captain Hammer here, Josh. Nathan Uh Fillion is going to make his lost debut. And, you know, we're really... I wouldn't say we're putting an end to the Hydra Island arc, but this is definitely, you know, a definitive stopping point for a lot of stuff. Look, this is going to be a tough follow up. Uh, you know, we're going to get the we're going to get the Mr. Echo's funeral. Uh, we're going to get Kate and Sawyer really making their escape attempt. And of course, it's a Kate flashback episode. So we will see how Kate ends up ranking in the the MVPs and LVPs, considering what usually happens with her and her uh, in her centered episodes. Yeah, I believe Taco Night is coming up. Taco Night on the menu in I Do. So get your feedback in next week. Down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. We back, Mike, officially. Mr. Echo is gone, but Down the Hatch is back. Yeah, and I'm so happy. You know, I know it it was a wait, but I'm so happy to have you back in, in a number of ways just to be able to expound about this episode. If we had to pick one episode to come back to after a bit of a bit of a yachtis, I'm happy it was this one because there is so much to meditate on. And to be able to talk about an episode that I think to the to the rankings point, uh, just sort of like, you know, I think it varies as we sort of talked about. But I think it was a really refreshing episode to come back to and especially to talk with you again. I, I miss getting to talk lost with you. And hopefully, you know, people were not uh, starved for content. Hopefully we were able to provide a bit of a cheeseburger instead of a nothing burger the past couple of weeks. But we're ready to keep moving forward an episode a week until we finish this whole bad boy up. God willing. Oh, my goodness. Do you believe? Uh, something burger this week, indeed, I should say. We'll be back next week talking. I do. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.